Um, hi, welcome to the first. Hi. Um, I'm April. I'm Steph. Um, and you are, um, as I just said, you're listening to the first. This is episode three. Number trois. Number trois. Um, drei in German. Oh. I don't know any other languages. Well, Spanish. Um, un, dos, tres. Tres. Olé. Numero. Numero. Tres. That's probably wrong. I Spanish can't speak. Um, so yeah, you're listening languages. to the, you can't speak. I'm with you. You're listening to the first. Um, Thanks to everyone who um, has downloaded or listened to the first and second episodes. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, we do very much. We do very, very much. Thanks if you've left a review or if you've told a friend or um, if you've downloaded SoundCloud especially. Thanks, Mum. Ah, big Sue's. Thank you. Um, if you do want to get in touch with us um, for any particular reason, you can find us on Twitter at The Thirst. Um, Instagram, we're at the thirst pod. Um, you can even email us if you want to. Um, we're the thirst pod at gmail.com. Um, and everyone who's coming in at episode number three who hasn't heard us before, we talk about pop culture, pop culture, things, things that, we enjoy, things we enjoy, things we're watching, things we're reading, um, things we hate, things we hate, things we love. Um, so yeah, all things pop culture. So, um, what we'll also keep doing as well, last episode I made a point of um, going on Twitter and doing a kind of a big thread of tweets. That was very useful. Yeah, to share the articles and links to um, various different things you mentioned in the episode. So I think we'll keep doing that. That seemed to go down well. And yeah. um, it also means that we don't have to spend ages explaining the various different things we're alluding to. So Yes, especially if we get the names wrong. Oh, yeah. 100%. That helps. Covers our tracks. Um we're going to be doing this every couple of weeks. Um, you've got a busy one coming up. I have so... got a busy fortnight of not doing anything else but working. So. But working. So um, the last episode of this dropped only a week ago. Mm-hmm. So it might be a little bit of time in between. But you can just go back and listen to the per- first. Oh, yeah, there's hours episodes. of entertainment there. Hours of entertainment. Hours. Um, we'll do the correction section. Correction section. It makes me think of The Shining every time I say that. Oh, okay. When Jack Nicholson is in the loo with... Um, the caretaker, sure. and he says about correcting. I can't roll my eyes. You can roll Correcting. Oh, get you. Yes. So this is the correction section. Correction um, section. In episode two, it was really long because in episode one we got loads of stuff wrong, but this time it's not. <laughs> Yay! Um, I do think that the first. We know a couple of them. The first and most important thing I must address is that I not only did I forget Margaret Atwood's name, which is absolutely well, I didn't blasphemy. forget her name. I just had a really dramatic pause in between her oh, first okay, and yeah. her last name. Um, but most importantly, I referred to The Handmaid's Tale as The Handmaiden's Tale. You know, we were, we were doing both. So we did, the, we did The Handmaiden, the film. Yeah, we did. And we did The Handmaid's Tale, Tale, Tale <laughs> Handmaid's Tale book slash TV programme. Yeah, so, so I just blurred the lines. Oh yeah, it's a logical so blurring. I'm really sorry that I did that. I, I have, not to, this is not braggy at all, but um, I did, I'm a literature student, as you are. And the fact that I did that made me feel a bit ill. It's funny. So, it made a good episode title, so it it's did. fine. Maybe might just have to hide my degrees from this point onwards. Um, other vague corrections. This is mostly for my own benefit and not anyone else's. The headliners of Coachella were actually Radiohead, Lady Gaga and Kendrick Lamar, not Drake. I mean, did Drake not even go? He, no, Drake he, was there. he played the day of Kendrick Lamar, but the other headliner was Radiohead. Oh, Sure, not bothered. No. Um, and um, <laughs> Park Chan-wook didn't direct Snowpiercer, but he was a producer. There you go. It's, it's sort of the... I'm not going to say it's involved. sort of the same because no, it's he was insulting. Sort of, he but... was involved. Um, yeah. The Snowpiercer is actually directed by um, Boon Jong-ho, who's um, directing this no, film called Okia. 
which is coming out in Netflix. Oh, okay. Check John Hall in, so... Oh, well, there you go. It all comes back round. Cyclical. It does. Cool. Um, on to news, then. Um, the first thing we're beginning with is the um, the full tra- trailer for Blade Runner mm. 2049 dropped this week. Um, I'm very, 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 very much looking forward to this. It comes out in October. 6th of October, yeah. 6th of October. Um, it's going to be directed by um, Denis Venu. Um, I'm so glad you know how to pronounce that, because I just... It's I... probably wrong. I only know that it's Denis, because I've uh, listened to people refer to him in, as that in interviews. Okay. And it's probably not Venu, but... Um, it worked. It's well, it's, it's not great. villain view. So, um, Denis Villeneuve, um, who directed Arrival, Arrival. Sicario, Prisoners, Brilliant. Enemy, Ensemble's. Um, he's one of my favourite active directors. At the Arrival moment. was so, one of my favourite films Arrival, of the year last year. Yeah, so, such hands a down. Great film. Um, Prisoners is one of my Prisoners excellent. Faves. Um, the cinematography on uh, Blade Runner is going to be done by um, Roger, Deakins, Roger Deakins, who is not Roger Deakin, the environmental writer. No, I for the longest time for some reason thought they were the same person. oh it's really confusing trying to google either of them but once at work someone was like oh i'm reading this book by roger deakins about the countryside and i was like, like what? wow he loves countryside as well as cinematography <laughs> multi but he's done loads of stuff hasn't yeah, he so. he's, he's um he's got a very very vast filmography he works quite prolifically with the cohen brothers so he did no country frogman uh true grit um, a bunch of their other older stuff, Big Lebowski. Um, Shawshank. Shawshank, yep. He's worked with um, Denis on uh, Sicario and Prisoners, and he also mm. did um, Skyfall with Sam Mendes as well. So, oh, cool. Um, obviously, great collaboration between Denis Venu and, and Roger Deakins, though. Um, the cast for this is um, pretty good. It's uh, Ryan Gosling, Jared Leto, Harrison Ford is returning as uh, Rick Deckard. Um, the synopsis for the film is very, very vague, which I've really like um but the trailer itself is just i i sets the scene really well absolutely i think it gives you confidence that it's gonna look amazing yeah it has a very similar visual style to the first um blade runner Mm -hmm. um obviously it's incredibly iconic the the 1982 original um ridley scott's still involved he's still involved he's a, a a producer or an executive producer i think um how do you feel about it? Are you, are you a fan um, of Blade Runner? Generally? I am, yeah. Yeah, fan of Blade Runner. Got to be a fan of Blade Runner, I think, Rude from not. media studies onwards. Rude not fan to. Of, yeah. Um, it did look amazing. Some of the some of the colours in the trailer were just unreal. The a kind of orangey, yeah. was it like a desert kind of? Yeah, deserty brown. Just looks amazing. So pleased Harrison Ford is in it. I do, especially given the kind of, the, the cast and um, the people behind the helm, I think, it should give everyone confidence. I controversially, so sorry, not fussed by Jared Leto at all. Okay, fine. A bit bummed that he seems to potentially be taking the seat as the kind of villainous character of He's the, the film. Kind of I don't know if I can yeah. be bothered to watch him throughout the whole thing. So that's the my only like mm, okay. about it is Fair. that. And I know that when Wes watched it, he felt the same. Was just like, oh, I don't really. Jared Leto, mm, so that's my only... Yeah, I mean, I think that um, my kind of interest in him aside, I think that he can pull it out of the bag when he needs to, so I'm hoping that I hope he doesn't... So. I'm hoping that he doesn't go too overboard. Um, I'm, yeah, he can cut, He can just turn into a bit of a cartoonish kind of He does tread the line between being character. legitimately good and then being a bit OTT, so that'll be interesting. Mm. Um, I was very, very skeptical when it was announced that they were doing a follow-up but i think given the director um and given the kind of the cast and crew i'm and and also just having seen the trailer um i'm really looking forward Mm. to i'm managing my expectations yeah 
because I don't want to be let down. But mm. I think it'll be um, I think it'll be a good one. Yeah, I'm glad it's a sequel and it's not a remake. Oh, yeah. And I think that's good. I think they've been And I think between now and October, I'd kind of not like to see too much. It'd be quite nice to go in without too much prior knowledge of what's going on. I hope they don't release too much information beforehand. It would just, I don't know, it feels like it would be quite nice. Yeah, I think that the trailer itself had a kind of a narrative, but I don't think it was too overt. And I'm, I mean, personally, I'm going to be trying to avoid as much as possible now. From yeah, I think it's so. Um, I suggest you do the same if you're kind of similarly um, inclined. No spoilers, please. No spoilers, please. No spoilers. Uh, next, um, I feel like the fact that we're mentioning Steve Evie for the third time. Oh, this but is, I, yeah, this is hardly deliberate, but also... So it's we happening. We talked last episode about the fact that Chris Evans was doing CBBS. Um, this came up because there was um, Chris Pine, and the actor Chris Pine was on um, the host of SNL. Uh, I want to say last weekend, I think. Mm. And what his opening number was um, mentioned the fact that um, he is often confused with many other Chris's that are active in Hollywood at the moment. Um, to complement this, um, there was an article on The Ringer by Andrew Grossadaro, um, which was the kind of the 2017 Chris Wars. Um, the so Ringer good. themselves did a, a similar article last year where they did a poll and they kind of weighed up like um, box office and popularity and kind of various different aspects to, to think about who their winner was. Who was their winner? Their winner was Chris Evans, my mm. favourite. Yep. Um, you this week on our Twitter um, did do a poll... Um, just a quick survey, just a quick just a, audience research. Audience research, mostly to settle the argument between the both of us. Um, would you like to lay who, out on the table who your preferred is? My um, my ranking is... Oh, yeah, so the options uh, were go. Um, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, Chris Pratt or Chris Pine. Um, yeah, and that... No, my, my order was one, Hemsworth, two, Pratt, three, Evans, four, Pine... And yours? My personal was one, Chris Evans, two, Chris Hemsworth, yeah. three, Chris Pratt, four, but not even in the four, Chris Pine. Yeah, sorry, Chris Pine, not fussed. Um, it's the other three, really, but... The poll? Um, for some reason, you I was that. absolutely mortified at this, as in, I totally thought my ranking was the definitive. You thought you were going to prove I just a assumed point. everyone felt the same you as You did me. out of anger, and you thought you were going to prove a point. However, yeah, I did. Um, Currently, it doesn't end until tomorrow, but I mean, this is no one's voted in the last I want the full hog seven days <laughs> just to prove a point. Yeah. Um, at the moment, Chris Hemsworth, 16%, Chris Evans, 38%, Chris Pratt, 30%. I cannot believe Chris, Chris Pratt Pine, is 16%. Beating Hemsworth. So, I think, um, I also like Chris Hemsworth because he um signed my friend or our friend Vaughn's uh Thor doll, sure. He's a big family uh, man. I quite he like is. That. I like that. Very so, um, He's friends with Matt Damon. Mm -hmm. They have holidays. Matt Damon. He's got that nice Aussie accent. Matt Damon was in Australia recently, staying with um, <sighs> his family. Was staying with Chris Hemsworth. He's got the whole Hemsworth family as well. I just like that unit. Yeah. That that get up's pretty. It's. it's um, I think the reason. I mean, the, the CBBS. Um, he was reading a bedtime story. It was very sweet. I think the reason I like Chris Evans quite a lot is he's spoken quite prolifically about his um, personal issues with anxiety and things like that which oh, okay. I always find yeah. fairly admirable when mm. a, a, especially he's Captain America so for someone who's that high profile to be like oh actually like this is kind of can, all this press mm. stuff can be mm. quite hard I find that quite admirable also he just seems really normal and is from Massachusetts and is a big sports guy yes so, which is is yeah it's it's 
I refer to him the other day love. as the Ben Affleck you're allowed to Ooh, like. Ooh, yeah. So um, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Yeah. His CBBS. It was a good story. Yeah. Um, do you find like it was a bit cheesy? It's got that like American cheesy. I don't know. Yeah, it did feel. A bit it's like, a bit squeaky. It was very like, squeaky. Superheroes have feelings. Yeah. We can all be superheroes. With my stick. I mean, CBB is American media accent. Really profiling. Very, yeah. yeah. We I got be heroes st- just for one day. Stuck. <sighs> Um, yeah, that was awful. Um, I got stuck in a bit of a, a CBB's K-hole afterwards. No, you didn't. And I watched, uh, I watched, I was saving it just for now. Uh, I watched Tom Fletcher from McFly. Tom Hi guys, I'm Tom. Oh, um, Tom Fletcher. <laughs> awful. Uh, I watched, uh, Frank Skinner, which was just <laughs> odd. Um, Warwick Davis, which was of course great. And Mackenzie Crook. Oh, okay. Gareth which, yeah, he which kids books, you know. was oddly... Does he? Yeah. I didn't know that. Fantasy I found books. his one slightly terrifying. Oh, okay. Um, Do you remember what he was reading or not? No, okay. absolutely not. I'll but yeah, I watched I watched four more um, and then thought I've probably had my fill for tonight. Oh, great. I mean, the thing I thought, I think that they're doing with Chris Evans, what they did with Tom Hardy, because at the end of the, I don't know if you noticed this, but at the end of it, he said like, oh, I'll be back soon for another one. Yeah. I think they're probably going to record it like 50 mode. with him or something. Yeah, it would make sense. Is there a, there's not a Captain America film out soon, is there? No, I reckon they'll get Hiddleston next. Oh, that would be good. Imagine they've got Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Thor, there are so many we said the word the name chris so many times in the past few days chris, that it's chris, lost chris. all meaning to me yeah. and it's not even a name anymore yeah. so there you go that's the the blurring of the chris's we'll i try not to mention cbb's again for at least another episode i solemnly swear to not mention cbb's for at least another episode absolutely cannot make that promise but um also this week um there was a uh preview in variety magazine of twin peaks, twin peaks. season three of twin peaks is coming soon when is it Oh. Uh, the twenty. It's on the Sunday, which is the twenty first. Sunday, Next the twenty first. I think it it comes premieres. So it will be kind of on. Uh, you'll be able to access it on kind of English channels Monday. So um, the um the article itself was like a nice retrospective. On it was the, a great article. It was actually. really it, good. It was a nice little kind of um talking about how the new season came to be. Talking about the kind of the issues that had initially been um dogging the. The production, Lynch had said that he was going to be involved and then um, Showtime wouldn't give him Threatened money, to leave, so budget to leave. issues. Um, it also talked about uh, the collaboration, the long, sort of long-term collaboration between David Lynch and Mark Frost, as well as um, Lynch's sort of long-term relationships with both Laura Dern and Carl McLaughlin, who mm. are both returning for this new season. Um, I Did you know that they're not... Um, there'll be no... All the reviews are embargoed, so any... There's, uh there's yeah no critics don't get any pre-screenings critics aren't right getting screeners and there's going to be an la premiere next weekend where people will be invited but any reviews they do will be embargoed, will be embargoed. that's so, cool um that's good it's very very tight knit and mm. um you know lo- there's big big lockdown on that i think which mm. i, I kind of get because i think that part of why twin pigs is so great is that um you know it's it has that serious. air of, yeah, it has that air of mystery and unpredictability to, to it, doesn't it? Yeah. And I, think I mean, it's I've, I've been avoiding as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really yeah. know what's going to be. I've read, and I've, I've seen cast list. yeah, I admit to having read quite a lot about it. I've revisited that cast list a few times, especially when rewatching Twin Peaks recently. Um, mostly just to check that the boring characters in season two aren't returning. Mm-hmm. They're not. Um, there were some interesting names on it, actually. Yeah. I, I think when I'd seen the initial cast list, I'd, I'd Kind of glossed over a lot of it. Naomi Watts. Yeah, Naomi Didn't Watts is on there, which... Michael Sarah. 
Yeah, Michael Michael Sarah is an odd one. Naomi Watts kind of makes sense. Yeah, Trent Reznor is my favourite. Oh god, yeah, I forgot about Trent. Um, David Duchovny is coming back, which is great. Yay, uh, there are three uh, three actors uh, who are in the original Twin Peaks have passed away between um, filming and the the release. So Warren Frost, who is Mark Frost's brother, who plays uh, Donna's dad, the Doctor. Um, he passed away recently, um, but he'd already filmed his scenes. The log lady had obviously passed away a few years ago. She'd already filmed her scenes. And then uh, Albert Rosenfield, who is played by Miguel... What's his name? Oh, Farah? Yeah, I think so. um, I probably said that wrong. He really recently passed away. He was quite young, but he'd already filmed his scenes as well. So they're all returning to it and will be in this season. Another, yeah, nice. there was um, Michael Parks... Um, he's playing yeah. John Renaud um, this week. Passed away this week. Obviously, he wouldn't yeah. be been returning. But um, I, I think for some unknown reason, I hadn't realised that with with regards to the returning cast, the no Laura, uh, no, no Lara Flynn Boyle, no Lara Flynn Boyle, no. Um, what is Harry's? The guy who plays Harry. Um, oh, can't remember. But I know who he means. Can't remember his name. He's not coming out of retirement for it, so he said no. I think they've got someone else yeah. to play him. Oh wow. Um, which you know, I guess they had to do, but you know, it's a shame. But also, you know, you can understand. So they're two big characters. Obviously, Bob's not coming back. Um, it will be interesting. The one thing that surprised me most that I hadn't realised until I read this article was that it's it's eighteen episodes long. Um, so it was so originally kind of. Uh, it was rumoured to be 10 and then I think Lynch had kind of pushed it to 13 and then had argued that he needed longer to kind yeah, of fulfil his story arc. So it's own... 18, which is long, I think, for a returning with a, With a lot of returning series. shows, you do often find they tend to be, I mean, like, obviously not the same ballpark at all, but with the, the recent Gilmore Girls mm. reboot, that was only four episodes. They were feature-length episodes, mm. so they were about... And about 90 minutes each, okay. I think, which obviously occurs yeah. to... But at the same time, it was a yeah. short run. It was only four eps, so... And X-Files Return, that was six episodes. Yeah. So, so um, I think the the risk... The, I mean, it's great. It's obviously great to get a full 18 episodes out of this. Um, I feel the risk is if it doesn't work with the X-Files reboot, it was 50-50. I'd say there were three good episodes and three mm -hmm. not good episodes. But you could kind of get well you know it was quite it was watchable because it was six episodes yeah, and you were that and it was done if it starts dragging 18 is going to feel like a very long time 18 episodes i think even for a show, as daring i think yeah even for a show I, I like a lot i often find that i mean sort of social sort of shows like um parks and recreation and things like that there are you know th those are shows that have long runs but then at the same time they're only half an hour episodes. Mm. they're short comedy episodes mm. so you, you know 28 kind of it doesn't seem no it doesn't so long, seem for example long. that's how you know they tend to be sort of in the 20s but yeah 18 episodes is a is a big and the character list there are more than 200 characters yeah. which divide that between 18 that just seems like an insane number of characters so of i'm hoping it's not gonna it's not gonna feel like we're getting lost or there's yeah, too many I new mean, characters i think the second season of twin peaks got slightly grating when um they were introducing so many new characters to the story. yeah i mean well, i am um, i bought the twin peaks box set today actually it's just so that we could do a quick sort of season two rewatch because yeah. it's the season i tend i tend not to yeah i forget really. elements um, every time but i think part of why I don't really ever rewatch it as often as I have watched uh, season one is just because 
it sort of it, it kind of peters out and it does lull and there's a definite so, lull obviously yeah. everyone notes the lull was when uh, david lynch kind of left which is why and I'm, Mark Frost I'm optimistic stayed on board. because he's on board so I mean, it wouldn't 100 percent wouldn't he's, have worked without david yeah, lynch he's a, he's a real visionary um, so he um, is i mean there's it's strange because he is and everyone holds him in very high regard um it's interesting that they were saying uh how uh, this new season reflects his advancement as an artist. Um, and I think we've seen him do a lot with kind of visual art recently yeah. and music. He hasn't done a film in almost 10 years. Which I forget. So his advancement as a kind of filmmaker and a, a director and a... I, I'm not sure what to expect. <laughs> no, I mean, it's funny because the, the 10 years, I mean, I always think, because he's always so, so... I mean, maybe it's just because of who we know and you know the things that our friends like but mm. he's always part of the kind of cultural conversation on Constantly, such a regular basis yeah. that i tend to forget the fact that it was it has been he, yeah he hasn't done anything things, since inland so. empire which is 2006 yeah um so and of course he announced uh i think maybe this week that he is retiring from movie making anyway yeah um so that kind of that film 10 years ago is the last that we're likely to see of his yeah. movie I mean, making. Maybe he's putting so. all his energies into doing TV. It did. He and... it did make it sound like he appreciated kind of the length of television yeah. and maybe the budget behind yeah. the Is television it, he wants. Yeah, to Yeah, I mean it's interesting work. because you do see now more and more that kind of um, film directors are getting involved with TV and you know movie actors are getting involved with TV. So I do feel like there's a real kind of um, fluid relationship more so now between the two than there ever has been. So, you know, mm. him going to TV isn't necessarily a, a kind of a step mm. down or anything mm. like that. I guess it's the having more time to kind of express mm. your artistic vision. So mm. um, we think we probably will do a Twin Peaks episode. I'd like to do a Twin Peaks episode. Um, Maybe after, after a couple of episodes. After a couple season. of episodes so, so we can reflect. Um, that would be great. Yeah, it would be good to do kind of a bit of a retrospective about the actual initial initial two seasons and then what we're thinking of the, mm -hmm. the new one so far. So um, we'll definitely be coming back to that. Um, there were uh, Last week there was the um, MTV Movie Awards. Yeah. Um, they, this made the headlines because they had a gender-neutral acting award. So there's mm -hmm. been a lot of chatter recently about whether... Um, you know, with regards to awards, whether actually we do need act, best actor or best actresses, mm -hmm. um, you know, accolades individually. Um, the, the MTV Movie Award acting this time went to Emma Watson for um, Beauty and the Beast. Um, on the one hand, I think that MTV should be commended for some kind of being the yeah. front runner with regards to that. I mean, and the only, the only, <laughs> the I mean, only. They're not necessarily the ceremony. most prestigious award, the video, uh, the sorry, the movie awards, but mm. I think it makes a real point. It's good. I guess they're they're getting their foot in the door, I suppose, with regards to being able to say they were the first ones to do it. Sure. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about necessarily going to Emma Watson. Yeah, that was strange. Um, in a way, it felt quite deliberate because she's so so good at speaking. She's a very and such a spokesperson that yeah. she was able to really eloquently talk yeah, about it, which was great. Definitely. But also, like, did you give her the award so that? She yeah, I mean, she's like very that. outspoken, with, particularly with regards to feminism. It was a coincidence that it went to her and she's yeah. so, I don't know so great at being the person to kind of... Yeah, she's an advocate for kind of, you know, that, that type of thing. Mm. Um, so I think it's, it's obviously a good thing to be looking um, at these sort of categories in a gender-neutral way and hopefully, you know, that approach, uh, you know, just makes it fairer for the LGBT 
community yeah and... absolutely there's a with regards to sort of gender neutrality mm. and you know i think it's definitely a, a a good thing to be kind of stepping in the right direction with regards to being more in- inclusive mm. um i think it's just easy to be a little bit cynical about mm. it but i think that you know if this means that kind of awards do do begin to sort of go in that direction mm. and because i don't think there's any reason why no i mean women you know they're in particular they're um acting roles should be held um separately i mean no. i suppose it's, it comes down to chance doesn't it mm-hmm. you know if you've only got six people nominated in the category whereas you could have um two categories yeah. and have 12 people i don't know but another point that's been raised um to kind of counter uh what mtv has done mm-hmm. is that um you know it's kind of hopes that everyone else will follow suit but also there has been some argument that it's raised questions about whether gender neutral categories would be dominated by men and we would go back yeah. to women actually not getting a chance to win ever and that yeah, is it, you know there's no either way it's just yeah so in it, that respect i mean actually, that just it's kind of solving one problem creating yeah, another one i don't know because actually it becomes less about it being an award that um people who consider themselves to be gender neutral for mm. example um would be eligible for um it then becomes yeah if there are less is it yeah. if it's going to be dominated less, by men altogether yeah, if anyway less, if there are less places in it what how do you you know how do you sort of select you know are gender neutral and uh, people who identify as female are going to be excluded again yeah as well it's interesting i mean so i think it was it was it, was it kind of answers a yeah it creates a question yeah. against an answer and it's kind of you know, basically, they just the whole industry needs to get its shit together, and that's the only way it's going to be yeah, solved. I think, but... it's, I think it's really important to have these dialogues, um, to have these discussions, especially um, with you know, if you've got a public platform and, and especially one like an, an award ceremony like that, um, I think it's important to get the ball rolling mm-hmm. with regards to things like that. It's just you know, it's how how it gets co-opted or anything mm. like that. So, mm. um, yeah, I with also on the, on the subject of the MTV movie awards, I went through the red carpet because I was just interested to see, I'd, I'd mostly forgotten that the movie awards were even happening. Um, I didn't know, ba- I knew barely anyone that was there. Who the hell are most of those Bearing people? Bearing in mind it was MTV movie awards. I think it was, I think it's the MTV movie and TV awards now because yeah. the cast of Stranger Things were all there. Yeah, and they RuPaul won a... Won a yeah, RuPaul's Drag Race won. A won. Bunch of awards. Um, I didn't... I just didn't know who... No, was. I don't recognise anyone. Um, I don't minus really Stranger watch. Things, really. Yeah, so... Um, on Stranger Things, there was... Uh, what did Millie Bobby Brown win? Was she best uh, actress in a TV role? Yes, I think so. Uh, I'm so glad that you feel the same way as me and that I just... Watching that woke up the next morning to watch that speech which was kind of all over twitter oh, i just oh, i've just got a stone cold heart i just yeah. don't care she's irritating i'm so just, sorry no it's fine i feel like she's I'm, so cle- you know so she's very extra oh yeah my worry is that um i think i always worry with child actors that are particularly um overzealous and just very everywhere i do worry a little bit for them that um we're just gonna get burnt out. I don't yeah, know. I think it's different these days, especially and also like she had to take like a social media hiatus, and she's like eleven or twelve. She's twelve That's or crazy. yeah, she was twelve last time I checked. And thanking her publicist in her uh, her publicist in her speech, I was like, of course you I are, because I think they've probably got quite a firm hold on what you say and do and the way you present yourself. I know. Fairly I feel regularly. like it must be really hard to be a child actor and um kind of it's a very adult environment, isn't it? Mm. I think she her the level of 
fame that has been bestowed on her oh, God, um, yeah. compared to the other Stranger Things kids as well. You can kind of see them having being slightly more relaxed and having a bit more fun and she's got so I mean, much attention on her. I remember who the other Stranger Things kids were. Oh, like God, I'm so. so sorry about that. So, yeah, that was um, Millie Bobby Brown. Calm mm. down. Yeah. Go outside and play. It even rhymes, so... It does rhyme. Calm down, Millie Bobby Brown. Um, profile in uh, GQ magazine this week of Nick Cave. Mm. Um, you're a big Nick Cave fan. I am a big Nick Cave fan. Um, it was a very... It was an enjoy... I say an enjoyable read. You know what I mean. Um, it was lightening. It's... I think probably the first big interview he's done I think it's since the first long uh, his son Arthur's death um, must be a couple of years ago now. I thought I couldn't remember if it was the beginning uh, of last year or the year before. I think but... it was two years ago. I seem to remember I wasn't working where I'm working now. It was at my previous job. So it's been a couple of years since uh, Nick Caves, uh, one of his uh, teenage sons, Arthur, who's 15, um, took some LSD, it was his first uh, LSD trip, and he fell off a cliff in Brighton where they live um, and sadly died, left behind uh, his family and his twin brother. Really sad. Um, really, really desperately, sad. desperately sad. Um, Skeleton Tree, which is Nick Came in the Bad Seeds, most recent record, uh, uh, it's talked about a lot in this article and um, Arthur has talked about and the process of filming uh, One More Time with Feeling, which is the 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 film that came out with uh, Skeleton Tree. Um, it was wasn't the film um, initially. Nick Cave didn't want to do any press around the. Yeah, you can. He yeah, he so basically was, said, you know, he he walked into like a news agent one day and saw the front cover of these magazines and just thought, shit, I'm going to have to do this. People are going to be yeah. asking me. So that was his way of answering the question about um, Arthur and about what happened. Um, with someone he trusted um and i've heard a few times and he says in this article how much he hated that film when he first saw it and it's taken him a while to um kind of come to terms with it and to sort of like it one of the i think that was one of the nicest things actually about that particular profile was that how um nick cave mentions that how um him and his wife susie just were completely adverse to it but actually they they realized that it's a real kind of love letter to to that particular time and Arthur and it's it was like an act of catharsis mm. um, I found really interesting actually and it's it's funny because I think when Skeleton Tree came out a lot of people initially jumped on it as being a response to Arthur's a bereavement death, record actually right? you know he says that a lot of those majority of it was yeah. being recorded and yeah and recorded you know before Arthur's passed away so it um, had like a weird yeah. um it's kind not of a, a psychic but um it it was kind of like a pre preempted uh, what was going to happen which was really weird yeah. I mean, and I think eerie i think that you know for for someone whose narrative has been very much co-opted by grief in the last you know 18 months two years i think that it's a it's really easy to write into any work they produce as it being a direct reaction to sure it. um and i don't know this the, the article itself just felt like a you know not only was it like a nice the person he was interviewing i can't remember their name but he it was someone who'd interviewed what, him earlier yeah, before, before and then was going back so it was kind of a nice reflective on his career to this point and also how sort of grief, grief has affected him and his work from um this point onwards i did I noticed that he said he's going to they're moving to la yeah i was sad. So sad i have a, i just yeah. really wanted to walk into nick cave in brighton but um you can totally understand it though, you know? for his son to 
die so horribly so close yeah. to home just... and he says how um you know how everyone in brighton's always so nice to him when he sees him and actually that's kind of part of the problem it's a community everyone... of grief there isn't there that's yeah. just so yeah it must be so hard yeah. um it's it was nice that he brought up um warren ellis his bandmate um and the support that warren has given him um even really it's amazing and if you watch one more time with feeling that's one of the things you really take away with it is that actually uh, i mean as well as his wife susie like they've got through it because of warren yeah. um and it's it's such a lovely thing to see um and i also enjoyed when he was talking about uh how he's kind of got something new from the audience out of this in that it's a bit more of a kind of an exchange and yeah, he he really always felt that he was performing at the audience and he personally didn't get as much back and now he feels like it's kind of a two-way conversation yeah. which it's is interesting nice. actually because i i've i've not seen nick live but i've seen a lot of live footage of him and and when you watch him you know watch him on stage he's a very kind of aggressive performer in he the is. sense that he you know for to the front rows he's very out there and giving it like all the first like and, 50 people yeah, at the but front actually for him to kind of sort of be switching from being like that but actually realizing that there is a two-way street i think mm. it's you know that's kind of interesting to that he's kind of realized that actually you know he does get something out yeah of his kind of relationship has shifted which is great and uh we're seeing that cave again or myself and wes are seeing that cave again in uh september so that will be interesting yeah, um, be interesting we'll see how see. if it's any different or especially because you've seen him before in the past yeah so. yeah um so that will be good um the only other thing from that article which i hadn't uh heard much about before was uh, i hadn't read the new york times or the variety articles which comment uh, about one more time with feeling which commented directly on the fact that nick nor susie address um oh, yeah, the, the fact that it was lsd that uh, um, ultimately led to Arthur's death yeah, and that, that was just Nick had some either. sort of or they both had some sort of responsibility for that because Nick was once a drug addict yeah they mentioned um, they mentioned Nick Cave's past fairly disgusting sort of, yeah. in it's it is a point I think it is a pointless comparison to make and I don't see that doesn't make them responsible anyway for what happened and it was interesting that um he it, they'd made a note of how arthur and his friend had even like googled the after the side effects of lsd before they did it so they were yeah. obviously they were doing it and they were you know it might not be something a lot of kids their age are doing i don't know but they were obviously experimenting together and trying to be a bit careful about it and yeah. i imagine that's the environment they have grown up in and i'm sure their family are very open about that but to it's, it's people are yeah. willing to place blame. I mean, we talked um, in the last episode, we mentioned Heath Ledger and obviously mm. his untimely death. And we mentioned when we were talking about that, the fact that people like to attach blame or find... To Mary-Kate Olsen. Yeah, that, to, yeah. To, to, to find blame and, you know, put, point the finger at someone. Obviously, it was a very tragic, tragic early death for Arthur. But it's to, to sort of immediately turn around and say, well, it's all of your fault. I mean, you know, there are so many factors involved. And it just seems, especially for someone in the public eye like that, it seems you know you've got enough to be contending with let alone the press basically attacking you for that so you know that Christ, yeah, I, I hope they feel bad for I having know. put that um on the flip side despite all the sadness in the article um i, I the, the part about russell crowe oh it dead end on a high with gladiator too so um, jesus christ is that a film i'm glad wasn't yeah made. So Nick cave mentions how um russell crowe had been in touch with him and had asked him to write the screenplay for um for a gladiator 2 
a follow-up to the... It's like Clash of the Titans meets Gladiator. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll absolutely link to the, to the profile because it's definitely worth reading, um, whether you're a fan of Nick Cave or not, and also just because of this, the fact that it does take a turn at the end that's just absolutely batshit. Like, it was hilarious. That just felt like very... Wanted, like, sea creatures and yeah. gods and... It felt very surreal and odd, and I felt like it just felt like a perfect ending to, to a piece of writing about Nick Cave. So um, please read it just for that. Agreed. Um, also in GQ uh, this week, um, did you read the profile about The Rock? No, I haven't read it yet. Okay. So I just talk, talk to, to me about The so, Rock. Um, there was a, firstly, it was the comedy issue, so I don't really know why The Rock's at the helm of it, but fine. It was a really great piece by Katie Weaver. Um, the one of the it, she goes to the gym with him and it, it it's it's funny because he just seems like a massively positive kind of interested person she mentions how like within the first five minutes of meeting him he wants to know everything about her like her career her family where she grew up like he's very inquisitive Aww. and i always think that like i've got no real interest in wrestling or you know i'm like a, not a, i wouldn't say i'm a fan of the rock but he just seems like a really nice guy yeah i think um, i think i get that impression from everyone as well really like happy the rock he's uh, yeah i mean he does a lot of work with, um, with veterans and he's very proactive in kind of various different charities the big thing that came out of this um profile however which is why it's been talked about a lot this week is because um he mentions in it that he could consider running for presidency <laughs> one day sure i mean we're in a world where go for it someone who's wholly on please do is currently the US <laughs> why not president. we might as well all apply at this point um so i mean i'll just i just want to read a quote of it so um it says last june uh, when the washington post published an op-ed suggesting he could be a viable candidate um johnson sorry Dwayne the rock johnson Dwayne um posted a screen grab and gave the idea a boost on instagram he called the post piece interesting and fun to read um since then johnson tells me he's given the question a more thought um a year ago he says it started coming up more and more there was a real sense of earnestness which made me go home and think let me really rethink my answer and make sure i'm giving an answer that's truthful and also respectful so after all that consideration John johnson doesn't hesitate when i ask him whether he honestly might one day give up his life as the highest paid movie star on earth which is unquestionably easier more fun and more lucrative than being president of the united states in order to run for office i think that's a real possible possibility he says solemnly do it i mean i'd vote for him yeah. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Imagine if I, if I could vote in the US elections, I would have voted for Dwayne. Yeah, I mean, uh, also what I thought was quite nice is he um, calls himself feminist because he was raised by strong women. And he also, is, I didn't realise as well, he'd spoken about his experiences with depression and he's oh, okay. a sort of mental health advocate as well. Um, another thing I'd forgotten about until I read this actually um, was, did you remember or realise that um, the Rock was the first person to tweet about Osama bin Laden. Um, no, death. no, really. So if somehow, and he's so cagey about it in this article, it's hilarious. Why is he cagey about it? Because the, what does he know? Because we don't know. He got insider information. I mean, he obviously he probably knows like a lot of um, military people because of the oh, yeah. various different films he's been in, and he does a lot of veteran work. Like I said, did The but, Rock kill Osama bin Laden? Well, um, so basically, he'd gotten some insider information, and he tweeted out about it, and then way before Barack Obama did. And as a result, um, there was an official press conference that was happening where Barack Obama was going to be announcing to the world that this had happened. And they had to delay it because The Rock was like, guys, this has happened. Ah, I didn't know that. I think I knew, but I'd forgotten about it because it's so long ago now. But how That's hilarious. very bizarre. How hilarious that... Not the power only... of Twitter as well. I right? mean, Twitter will announce 
anything before anyone else gets news right. of it. Twitter is your news Not resource. Not is The Rock, the highest paid movie star, which I've forgotten, he was the first person to announce to the entire world. Why is he the highest paid movie star? Because he rakes in the most money, I think. Mm. So I think that that's... Return on investment. Return on investment. ROI. ROI. Return on investment, The Rock. So if you're thinking about getting into films and you are thinking about who you should be getting on board, The Rock. People will go and see films. I'm sure your budget will stretch. I'm sure he'll do it for a a small amount. A donation. (laughs) So on to what we're currently enjoying and uh, also what we're looking forward to uh, this week. Would you like to go first or should I... Oh, I don't have a preference, April. Okay, um, I just think we should start with the most important thing. Which is a shared thing. What did we do this afternoon? This afternoon, uh, we went into the city and we purchased uh, Harry Styles' self-titled album on vinyl each. You did. Harry Styles' self-titled debut album came out yesterday. It was a glorious day. It was the best day ever. I was Um, giddy. Much hysteria. Yeah, so um, much hysteria. Such a, what are your first impressions, thoughts and feelings, Go. I'm glad that we've... Um, I've not been allowed to talk to, about this properly with you until now. So we embargoed good. ourselves to have a conversation about it for the podcast. Um, it's the first time in a long time that um, I have listened to a record all the way through and not been on the fence about any single track. I no. loved all of it. Loved it. Um, <laughs> loved it. You said to me earlier, we were on an I love it. in oh, a God. moment that was like the most cinematic thing that's happened to me in a long time. And you just turned to me and went, were you ever this excited about anything that One Direction ever did? And I was like, no, no, I just love him. I haven't been this excited about anything anyone did in about 10 years, so no. I don't know what's wrong with me right now. It's, but it's, so, I mean, we, it's brilliant. In our episode last week where we talked about Harry's Rolling Stone profile, we gave our initial thoughts about what we thought the album might sound like. I think it sounded exactly like what we yeah. thought it was going to sound like, and it's great for it. Yeah, were you surprised? It's done well. Um, I wasn't... I think having heard... Um, three tracks previously sign of the times sweet creature and um ever since new york which was performed on oh he did that on snl SNL. um i think they were kind of yeah they were great so three quite different songs Mm -hmm. kind of yeah um so it was a nice overview i just i think i was just surprised i mean that was the first thing um i listened to yesterday immediately as i walked to work yeah and I, just, I mean, I'd been managing my expectations because I felt a bit like I didn't want to get overwhelmed by stupid hysteria about this record. And that's exactly what happened. It's just good, man. It's it just is. such a fun, like, nice record. It's There's very, nothing... um, it's got some really strong Britpop elements to it. Yeah, um, I enjoyed that. There's a bit of American rock out there. Yeah. Um, our friend Vaughn said, uh, summarised it perfectly by saying that she felt like she had, um, she had the feeling like she had moved to a new city and fallen in love ah it's so true and i was like that is exactly how it feels it was a really warm day yesterday and you put this record in and it just felt good it's um, such a feel good record it's great it's so great the there are particular lines that are just going to throw like 16 year old girls into a rabid frenzy hey, if I was, insane if i was sat in work yesterday like just thinking about some of those lyrics losing my shit and i'm 29 god knows how a 16 year old's gonna feel <laughs> So, and um, I, as with regards to the record you are currently holding, I just think that it's such a nice, like the artwork's interesting. It's so lovely. It's such just a good, so good. good, nice aesthetic going on. I mean, I don't feel ashamed to say I'm enjoying a Harry Styles record more no. than anything I've enjoyed recently. Right, so. right. And there have been a few articles up about, you know, is Harry Styles for adults? And I think there's yes. definitely a progression there. It's definitely a maturity there. I think it 
sits completely apart from One Direction, to be really? honest. Um, and it's great. Um, you... Only Angel into Kiwi is oh an God. excellent selection of Let's talk about that. Songs. Um, I think I don't ever want to know about, though, is what men think about the... No, men. Men, we, men, we don't care what you I think about Harry about Styles or what you think about this album. No. It just doesn't... I don't need your validation. does nothing for me. Nope. Um, and the article... Yeah, there's been a couple of articles and reviews uh, by men that have just... I, I they just I I feel like I say they haven't got it and that sounds really stupid in a kind of like yeah. oh you just so don't understand but I think there is a a different unsurprisingly the majority of the incredible writing that I've since read about this record has all been by women yeah so um I will make a sorry point of some of that I think I retweeted a lot yesterday because mm. I was very excited about it um we also are going to see Harry Styles in October oh my god hi everyone hi, hi guys so excited so, how silly um, is that actually... I just wanted to tell the girl in HMV earlier when she was like have you heard the record oh, yes. right. well obviously because I'm buying it you're playing it HM in HMV and also I bought tickets to see him so um, I think uh, it's not until October so we'll probably try and be quiet about it oh now and then. god I'll try not to repeat However, myself too much we will definitely be recording a podcast episode with Von while she's here oh yeah when you talk about um, maybe we'll do some 1D fandom Harry Styles I think that would be excellent and she should she can bring some She's the expert yeah so. bring it right on the money um it's i'd just like to say as well mm -hmm. that i'm a, i think we're both acutely aware having talked about harry styles in two out of three episodes now that it, it it's what some people would expect from us but maybe not what other people would expect from us yeah um i'm 27 years old and i just want to fucking like what i like so Okay, my pop music's the, the fucking shit. Yeah. So pop, pop music is the best thing ever. A lot of the, a lot of the best shows I've been to recently have been pop, pop shows. What you would call pop. Popular shows, um, At yeah. the end of 2015, I saw Carly Rae Jepsen, and I have never had so much fun at a show in my entire life. Yeah. She was amazing. So if you're someone that thinks that that's uncool, then I don't want to be your friend. No, I'm not your friend. I'm not your friend. I'm not your friend. Get out. Um, it's 2017. The real world is shitty enough. Sometimes I just want to go home and watch TV or listen to music. It just makes me feel fucking happy. Um, and so, that's Harry Styles. Yeah, and that's Harry Styles. So um, so that's Harry Styles. Um, I have also been enjoying the new um, Mac DeMarco record, This Old Dog. Um, Haven't listened to it. Uh, Mac DeMarco is a Canadian singer-songwriter. Um, this is his third studio album. It's very chill. Mac DeMarco is a chill human being. If you know anything about him, he's just got this kind of like weird stoner chic vibe. Um, he some There was a great piece in the, I think it was the New York Times this week, um, where he talks about this new record and he mentions the kind of internet hysteria around him in the sense hmm. that he's just people are just obsessed with how chill he is and how like he's very open with his fans there's a at the end of his last record um which was called another one there's a kind of a fade out and at the end of the song um he mentions his actual address no and he says drop on by i'll make a cup of coffee and in the moved article, very swiftly no afterwards. in the article he talked about how people would just be turning up all the time oh, and he'd just wow. hang out with them and stuff um his mum runs really a fan true. club by him Aww. and she'd um kind of advertised recently on i think it was facebook about how she needed like someone to help out with her and she was just inundated by like mac demarco fans and she and mac mac is like i don't think she understood that like this would what would happen so um if you're into kind of like chill kind of relaxing -y, Kind of fun stuff that's definitely worth listening to cool um the heim heim 
Time released a new single um, called Want You Back. Um, yeah. The new album, Something to Tell You, is coming in July. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, they'd released a video for a song called Right Now, which was filmed in the Such studio. Such a good video. So good. It was filmed by director um, Paul Thomas Anderson, mm-hmm. one of my favourites. Um, what do you think about the new single? I really love it. It's great, isn't it? Again, just an instant. I got it as soon as it was on. It, it I mean, it sounded like Heim to... It's just they're such 100% nice, Heim. They're such a fun um, kind of summary. I always think, when I think of Heim, I always such think of summer. Such summer vibes. Um, that last, their first record, um, I just adored it. I go back to it. Absolutely, so on much. rotation. There's, I don't think there's a bad song on it. No, there's not a bad song on it. Their voices are just beautiful. It sounds very Fleetwood Mackie. They're it sounds like summer. Like. It sounds like... I don't know. It it just sounds like three really talented sisters. Yeah, I mean, we, having the best time, and we're both just so jealous that I just they get to be in a band like have, that. We want to join as honorary members of Heim. They give me such hair, hair envy. We saw them live um, three years ago. now? Yeah, I really want to see them again. I they feel like we've like both just been fun. waiting. They're incredible, just incredible live. Um, incredible so, musicians. They're just all like so, so talented. talented. So talented. Um, we're big SD Heim fans. Absolutely. In the bass face. Bass face. Um, so I'm really... The bass face in that video, by the way. Oh, is... God. Isn't it the best? Good. Um, so we're really enjoying that single, and I'm really looking forward to that album. Mm-hmm. Um, have you listened to the new Paramore LP yet? Nope. Okay, Paramore, um, After Laughter. Pretty fun. Very new wavy. Very... It gives off um, Blondie, kind of early Madonna, um, Bow Wow Wow, kind of new it's it's yeah it's fun mm-hmm. i think i i got really into the single i've only because of harry mm-hmm. i've only only came out yesterday so i've only yeah. listened to it once. had no time had sorry no time. everyone um I'm, i think it will grow on me okay so, i think um, it might take me a while to listen get around to listening to yeah. it um i'm not i wasn't um i've heard the the single a few times mm-hmm. but i haven't really opted to listen to it much i haven't felt majorly fussed so i'll see how i go with this one yeah i think um, it's um i don't think it immediately pulls me in no i think it's worth listening to but i mean i'm a busy person and um personally for me um i was it's been a wild 24 hours for me yeah. so not only um did harry release his record yesterday but on thursday night there was a new song by the national yes um the system only dreams in total darkness i woke up to an email on thursday thursday morning I think it was Thursday morning, mm. um, basically saying about the new single and the new album called Sleep Well Beast, which is coming out in September. Um, September's going to be a very exciting oh month my for God. everyone. Um, the National may be one of my favourite bands in the mm-hmm. entire world. So I'm... I don't think you've told me that. Oh, do no, I not mention no, it? No. no. Um, <laughs> I'm so hyped on this. I was basically like watching the video over and over and over again. So I, oh God, don't even know how to begin. I'm just very excited. That's great. Yeah. Love exciting things. Fine. Are you listening to anything else? Um, I started listening to uh, the Dream Car record, oh, um, yeah. which also came out yesterday. I think it's self-titled. It's self-titled. We mentioned Dream Car before. Um, I'm not immediately taken with it. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I don't hate it. I just, I think it. it I'll have, I'll have to give it a few listens to see if I'm into it. Um, I just, it's, I, yeah, I'm not sure. It sounds very much like what you would imagine Davey Havoc to do if he was going to do like an electro. Yeah, it just, it does. So I don't much... think it's particularly remarkable. No, I mean, um, so I was listening to it earlier today, a brief uh, interlude between plays of that other record. And um, there are so, so much of the guitar tone reminds me of um, The Cure. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very clean. Was it you who said that? Oh, no, it was Ashley said exactly the same thing yesterday. Yeah. She said it reminds her of The Cure. There's a lot of the guitar tone reminds me of The Cure, which is really unsurprising. I can imagine that's a complete influence. When you've got Davy Havoc involved. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I haven't got much to add to that at the moment other than give Dreamcar a listen, see what you think. Um, I'm, yeah, not immediately taken. I think it'll be a good summer record, like Paramore, actually. Yeah. I think that when the weather gets better and I'm walking to work, I think those will be two. I, can't I might give it more of, yeah. Yeah, completely. I need to exhaust Harry Styles first, clearly. Harry Styles. In, not literally. But Harry Styles, maybe. Um, I have not watched many movies since we last recorded actually no. um the only notable thing um was i saw uh i watched at home the magnificent seven mm -hmm. which was the um and i almost watched it the same night as you i know you quite texted bizarre. me you're like wait we nearly watched this mm. um it's just appeared on netflix so i think it's why everyone's yes. suddenly watching it um it's the 2016 remake um of the 1960s uh western um which itself was a remake of a um akira kurosawa um, 1954 film Seven Samurai um, the remake is directed by Antoine Fuqua and who directed Southpaw Training Day The Equalizer um, mm. it's got Denzel Washington uh, Chris Pratt Ethan Hawke Peter Sarsgaard um, great cast um, it was fun I don't really normally like westerns mm. I wouldn't bother and I think at the time I'd been quite keen to see it at the cinema but just didn't get a chance um, I love Ethan Hawke to an alarmingly high degree. Yeah, Ethan so, Hawke um, is I great. Psyched on that. Um, the film itself is is definitely fun. It seems like it was better than you expected. Oh it god, to be. yeah, so much better. We put it on because my Netflix list is just full of really depressing shit that Tom doesn't ever want to watch. Yeah. And um, we were away last weekend and we wanted something that was not going to depress us to death and this didn't depress us. It was fun. Um, it's also, I thought was quite interesting, which I hate that this is even a thing, but um, the, so in, in particular in um, Magnificent Seven, there's a character called Billy Rocks who is of Asian descent and he was played by um, Byung-Hoon Lee, who is Korean. Okay. So they actually got that right for a change. Mm. And then there's a um, Native American character called Red Harvest. Um, and he was played was by he Martin. played by a Native American? He was. He was played Excellent. by Martin Sizemeyer, um, or Sensmeyer, sorry, who's an Alaskan Native. Oh, okay. Um, which I just thought was kind of nice. It was nice to see that actually... Makes sense. Yeah. Well, well done for making sense, sort of, guys. You know, there's the, the whole whitewashing in Hollywood, it's it's so... It's just ridiculous. So um, it was nice to see that they'd adhere to that. Also, I just thought it was cool that, like, um, Denzel Washington was the lead in this film. Um, I could watch Denzel in anything. Mm -hmm. Such a badass. Agreed. Um, but it's just kind of cool that he was a an African-American cowboy. Mm. Pretty cool. Um, but definitely would recommend watching that if you've got a spare couple of hours. Pretty fun. Um, we're seeing Alien Covenant this we evening. Are. That's probably the main I think thing that I'm looking forward to yeah, film-wise at the moment. Um, I, I thought maybe when we'd record the third episode we might have seen it, but it hasn't worked out that way. Um, I am Alas. excited, but apprehensive yeah i've purposefully avoided um reviews i know people have said it's split which i think is mm. understandable is with, it was that way with prometheus so. it's, it was always going to be split but i have not read much of or anything from either camp i uh -huh. would like to definitely make an opinion myself yeah i'm i'm i think that um everyone has a lot of opinions where aliens concerned um i hadn't ever really thought that i needed another alien film i never think i need another alien film no um i I, I had been avoiding as much as possible and then every single time I've been to the cinema probably, every single time that trailer comes on first right it's always that trailer I mean I thought it was funny when I saw life and then before it they showed the trailer for alien which it's basically the same thing <laughs> so I mean fine um so we'll probably talk about that at some point um but I'm yeah looking forward to it but mildly apprehensive yeah yeah 
absolutely. Um, films, again, I also haven't watched many films recently. No, I've um, been watching a lot of TV and other stuff. So Yeah, and just general workloads. I don't think I've even spent much time at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, about, I don't know, probably about a fortnight ago, went to the cinema to see Mad Max again in oh, Chrome, did, um, which was great. Um wasn't sure. I mean, I really enjoyed Mad Max. I know you were slightly more on the fence about yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't hate Fury Road, but I think that the problem was. I mean, we watched it. Um, we didn't see it at the cinema, and I think maybe that was a wrong. Choice. I feel like that absolutely would have made a different well impression. For me, that is that every single person and reviewer whose opinion I trusted had kind of hyped it into oblivion. Um, so that actually when we did get around to seeing it, um, I felt a little let down. But it Was wasn't... it like the Prometheus effect where everyone hyped Prometheus oh, to such a severe extent yeah, that definitely. coming out of it was... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I can sort of, I, I can definitely see the positives of Mad Max Fury Road. Um, but for me, I just felt a bit like, because I'd basically been told for six months that it was like the best thing in the entire mm, world. Mm. It wasn't. But um, I mean, it, it has a very clear clear aesthetic link to the originals which mm. i kind of liked i mean tom hadn't ever seen any of the original mad maxes mm. so i think for him it was a bit like mm, okay um yeah. but i know that um Wes yeah. is a big fan mm. and, and you guys have watched them so mm. what was it like here watching it in chrome um it was it was really so it, good it was black and white right yeah so it's black and white i think there was some discussion about i think i'm i think i'm right in saying that there was discussion about it being released initially in mm. chrome um but uh producers etc were like no you know that that's a risk it's kind of taking a big audience risk audiences might not want to go and see a film that's kind of technically in black and white um i wasn't sure what it would look like because uh the the film itself is so colorful and visually striking so so bright so many blues so many oranges well, yeah, so many like reds the, you know it's supposed to be in the australian it's the desert it's desert it's so vivid um so I wasn't sure how that was going to carry across, but it looked, it did look really good. Um, when they're kind of spraying that, uh, when the, I can't remember what they're called. The oh, bald guys. Called? Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> the bald guys are uh, spraying their mouths with like crying. It looks amazing. Yeah, it's it so shiny. Amazing. Um, I got to sit next to an actual thirsty mum, oh, which was one of my favorite parts of the experience. Um, I thought maybe she was just waiting for someone else to come and, uh, sit next to her but she had come by herself which is excellent loved going to the cinema by myself um but also uh she had come quite dressed up she had a, a bottle of wine to herself and she made the greatest little squee noise and dance when tom hurdy first came on the screen so Basically, i was she's just you as a mum then yeah i was sort of equal parts um laughing and just so impressed and just pleased that she was doing it and was having a great time go thirsty mums was it um, like looking into the future and seeing yourself? It was. It's me in about five minutes' time. Um, but really good. Yeah, really good. Worth seeing again. I think seeing on a big screen does make a hell of a difference. That is one of the yeah, films in recent oh, years th- that has had such a... It, it's, it's, it's like ramped up to kind of times 100 seeing it on a big screen. It's so loud. Yeah, I think actually um, I know, we'd said that um, in retrospect, I think if we'd seen it in the cinema, we would have like loved the hell out of it because I, I think it would have made been a, a little difference. Bit immersive and like the noise and I it think blows that, your head off. Yeah. It really does. So um, oh. maybe if it ever comes again, maybe do the screen, we can do it. Um, 
yeah, looking forward to Alien. Um, I think we're both going to try and catch Minehorn. No idea whether that's going to be any good. Oh, yeah, Minehorn, um, the Julian Barrett um, comedy with... Comedy, set in the Isle of Man. It's got like, Steve Kuhn in it. It's got Coogan, people. Uh, Russell Tovey, I think, is in it. Mm. It'll be fun. I'm, I'm seeing it Monday night, so... Maybe I, again, I haven't read any reviews. Um, I, I gather there's been a few sniffy ones, but um, the watch... trailer was funny. I could watch Julian Barrett do my I could just so. watch Julian Barrett read the phone book tomorrow, Various. so... Um, would look forward to it and we both have said time time again that we're going to watch casting john benet together on oh, netflix shit, to um so netflix. at some point i hope that we do that let's do that soon um tv was i spent a weekend in london a couple of um weekends ago um and my entire weekend was spent watching all seven episodes of big little lies good job mate good job it was my main accomplishment that weekend um it's based on the novel by leanne moriarty we mentioned it briefly in our first episode mm-hmm. where we were talking about reese witherspoon's friendship with laura dern um the cast list in this is crazy good it's reese witherspoon nicole kidman um Shaleen woodley zoe kravitz laura dern alexander skarsgård amongst others um the it's set in an affluent um north californian community it's set in monterey which is sort of near silicon valley kind of Mm -hmm. there's a lot of money up in monterey um the book itself was set in australia and they moved it to california um and the the show itself revolves around that community and their friendships and relationships and rivalries um and they're rocked it's sort of all of that's rocked by a crime um it's a lot of parents and their children so there's a lot of um sort of based around the school community and everything like that um it's definitely going to be an awards front runner there are some very 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 good performances in this mm. um, nicole kidman in particular see i'm not always keen on nicole kidman i don't really so... like, i don't think i've ever seen a film where i've come away and gone like do you know what nicole kidman she grates on me a little bit but she really she good in it honestly was fantastic and i think that that she's got a lot of films coming out this year um which i'm interested in she's in the new sophia coppola yes the beguiled yes i want um, to see that which i'm really looking forward to so um i think she she's definitely having a moment she she really is exceptional in this actually she um plays a woman who is a former lawyer who now has twin boys she's married to alexander sarsgaard sarsgaard sorry lucky lady there's a lot of lucky lady um there's a lot of uh there's some domestic violence involved and everything like that and she just she just plays it in a way that it's just it's not over the top Mm -hmm. it's so sensitively handled she's just uh, yeah i mean in it was a very intense weekend of watching it and i know that my friend Paisley and I, when we were watching it, we just were like, oh, I didn't, I never thought of Nicole Kidman as being, like, an amazing actress. A bit able to do this. But like, she just, yeah. really pulled it out of the bag. Okay. I mean, Reese, um, Reese Witherspoon is phenomenal as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, there are just a lot of really great performances, and it was really enjoyable to watch a prestige drama where it's uh, focused on women. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the men, the, there are men, there are you know, there are husbands, Adam Scott plays another, uh, Reese Witherspoon's husband, and there are men involved, but actually it's it's really about the women and their the intricacies of their friendships, and actually it was just really great to watch a kind of a mini-series that, you know, just some really great female performances. Mm. So um, if you get the chance to watch it, it was, it was on HBO, and I know that Sky Atlantic had it, so if you do get the chance to watch it, then I 100% would recommend it. I'd been really kind of apprehensive because I'd seen a lot of my favourite cultural critics had been sort of, championing it and okay. i've been a little bit like oh god what if i hate this but yeah 
definitely um worth looking into um I have to give it a watch at some point definitely do um I'd like to i also last night started to watch master of none oh yeah season, season two, two. Um, i'd been looking forward to this forever i'm a huge aziz ansari fan brilliant um, aziz ansari is a stand-up comedian who was in parks and recreation he mm-hmm. plays tom haverford and um, i had the chance to see him do some stand-up a couple of years ago oh i didn't know that yeah we saw oh. him at hammersmith apollo it was amazing like he's just he's very he's just brilliant um and master of none is his um project he plays a a, a guy called dev who lives in new york um, and it's just about his day-to-day life, he, um, his friendships, kind of his love life, um, which when you explain it sounds incredibly corny, but it's it, it's honest, it's so it funny, but it's also so sensitive. It's just the whole package is amazing. It's shot, it looks beautiful. The cinematography in this is brilliant. Um, I won't say too much about the first season because it, it did no only spoilers, come out please, yesterday, no but um, at the end of season one, um, he goes to Italy. Mm-hmm. So season two picks up back there and, and the first episode is... Is it really, set in Italy or is it set when he comes back? Uh, I think he leaves Italy and comes back cool. in this new season. But the first episode's in Italy and it's kind of set like a uh, kind of a foreign film, and European film. It's kind of reminds <laughs> me a bit of Francis Ha, the black and white. It's just... Oh, God, oh, I just wow. watched it yesterday afternoon and we, Tom and I were just like, I'm so glad this is back. Mm. It's just so, just so spot on. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, there was an interesting article on The Guardian this week about um, representations of South Asians in um, pop culture, which mentioned Master of None. It mentioned people like Riz Ahmed, mm. uh, Mindy Kaling, um, just about how kind of American pop culture in particular, it's kind of um, becoming a bit more tuned into the South Asian experience. Yeah. Um, I'll link to the article because it's definitely worth reading. And um, there's, we've only watched three episodes of this new season, but the third episode is called religion. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just so incredibly touching about what it must be like to be kind of, um, first generation kind of American growing up in American culture when you've got parents who are immigrants that mm. come from, um, you know, living in a completely different culture. And I just think that, you know, it was it's so well handled. And I feel like it, it, it's the type of episode I'm sure would resonate with um, mm. people that kind of are in that um, position themselves. So I would definitely recommend um, checking out uh, Master of None if you do mm. get a chance. If you're not season one, if you've not seen season one, sorry, go back and watch that and then watch the new mm. season. I feel like TV's doing um, a lot of things that in some move, like in some way, movies aren't at the moment. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's about the fact that you've got more time. You've got more of, time to play with those to play kind with of ideas, especially and kind of um, develop them a little bit more than you have in in a two hour film. Mm. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting time for TV at the moment. Mm. I think. Agreed. Um, I saw the first episode of American Gods. Oh, uh, did you get a chance to watch it? How was it? Um, it was really good. I was really impressed by it. I haven't seen episode two yet. It is out. Um, we've briefly discussed American Gods before. Um, uh, it's the it's a television show based on the book uh, American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Um, it uh, stars Ricky Whittle, who Holly was Oaks. in Hollyoaks, and I, I'm I'm still struggling a little bit to get past that. Um, it's kind of like that Game of Thrones effect where you keep seeing, yeah, keep seeing members know. of Hollyoaks and skins on screen. And it's just a bit, I don't know, for some reason, I do not why, know why I can't get past that, I but I can't a, a little um, bit. I don't, I don't know if you saw this yes, the, yet, but I sent you a video earlier on Twitter, which was, because you'd mentioned Ricky Whittle. <laughs> and it's a video of Calvin Valentine proposing to Louise. Oh, God. Because previous girlfriend in Hollyoaks this is a long time ago yeah. but Louise is the one that's in Game of Thrones so yeah. I was just watching it being like this is so fucking weird this is like Inception style weirdness uh-uh. yeah um, 
the first episode's great. It is probably one of the strongest um, opening episodes of a TV show that has been for a okay, while. I haven't day. really heard anything negative about it. Um, I have read the book before. I watched it with Wes, who hadn't. Mm -hmm. um, he said it all kind of completely made sense, which, you know, was one of the things I wasn't quite so sure about. I yeah. think there's been... Yeah, it's... Because, I mean, I, I have not yet read the book. Um, it was bought for me a couple of years ago by mm -hmm. Vix. Sorry, Vix. And... Um, I've sort of started it. It's a, from what I'm, I'm aware of, it's very complex. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of on. mythology around yeah. it as well, and it, it, with regards to um, actual kind of gods and mm -hmm. mythology. Um, and uh, I think that's what drew Wesley in, in particular, because uh, Wesley actually went and read the book straight afterwards. Wes doesn't read fiction really much at all. He's very. He reads a lot of non-fiction, but yeah. he doesn't read fiction. But he was really drawn to this, um, I think, because of the strength of the the first episode, and because of um, that, he could kind of read it and simultaneously go go and research these different kind of gods. Um, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of like Wikipedia he loved searching it. Um, that you could do. There's there's a couple of really strong, um, vivid, very memorable scenes in the first episode. Um, with some particular characters uh it's yeah it looks great um uh calvin <laughs> call him calvin it's just um, oh, it's, he's never not going to be calvin yeah is he? he, sorry he's the kind of lead protagonist and um for some reason the name of the character has just completely left me Fine. which is awful but it's what happened when you've got a microphone in your face um <laughs> not doing anything massively for me yet um doesn't do a bad job but you know there's there hasn't been any it's the first it's the establishing episode mm -hmm. so we'll see how it goes but certainly like a really good start um i haven't watched much else as we've kind of discussed i've been re-watching twin peaks we've pretty much almost wrapped up with season two now which is a very long season that's like 29 30 episodes so we're on about 27 um that's kind of most of the tv i've been watching when i've been able to squeeze it in um looking forward to Twin Peaks and looking forward to The Mist uh, again Stephen King's come oh, up I saw quite that a lot this week. but there was a trailer for The Mist yeah, um, which is another book by Stephen King um, it's had a film treatment before which was pretty good and now it's coming to television in June I think really looks really good trailer and yeah. um, horror sort of horror and television has really kind of come to the forefront in the last couple yeah, of years it's become a really it? big thing especially since probably american horror story it's it's yeah. a thing now yeah before I, mean, it really wasn't. I think i remember that first season of american horror story actually and just being like oh this is really new this feels like mm. you don't really ever get to watch something that's like legitimately fucking creepy mm -hmm. um and so you've had that you you know hannibal i guess yeah was a big one that hannibal was so gory mm. like borderline disgusting mm, yeah oh yeah there was some really season two there were a couple of bits that i was really struggling to get i think i said to you before actually when i was watching hannibal is that one an hour episode would take me two hours because mm. i'd have to keep stopping like not can't watch there like, were oh. yeah there were bits i had to look away yeah definitely. so um, um a lot of teen television has been kind of um oh we had like hemlock grove horror focus they 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 did a MTV did a scream. Oh yeah, um, of course, scream. Uh, there's been a few other kind of slasher related TV shows that came out. Did you watch Scream Queens? Um, no, I gave up on Scream Scream Queens after season one. I just found it intolerable. Um, I I do enjoy Scream actually. That's good fun. Is it good? I yeah, it's it's just it's 
like I, I like high school TV dramas. I can't help it. Um, Have you finished Riverdale yet? I've I've got the final episode to go. I love Riverdale. I, I think really, I might have to watch it. You have to watch it. I love it. It is Twin Peaks crossed with Pretty Little Liars. It's great. Um, Pretty Little Lies has got that kind of weird edge to it. Um, well, then you've got like, Vampire Diaries and Teen Wolf. And Vampire Diaries, stuff, so. Teen Wolf, which I'd never finished. Um, there's, there's loads of stuff. It's it's definitely a big... Um, Horror TV's having a moment, I think. It is. It's having a moment, um, and I'm very grateful for it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and just to wrap up things that we've been enjoying, um, I started listening this week uh, to uh, a new Stephen... Uh, Stephen King keeps Stephen on coming King up. Corner. Stephen King Corner. Stephen King Corner. A new Stephen King podcast, uh, The Losers Club from Consequence of Sound, um, which is relatively new. I think they've had probably about nine episodes, mm-hmm. um, but I've only just come across it. Um, I just want to give them a shout out because I listened to the first episode. Uh, they're they're read- rereading Stephen King um, from the very beginning. So they've started with Carrie. Um, oh, nice. And uh, it was really interesting. It was really great. They they talked about the book uh they talked about the adaptions like film and mm. there was a musical who knew um, oh, really? Re- yeah sure. it's really funny really interesting um i thought they handled you know it's a book about very much about uh, a girl uh growing up um and hitting puberty and all these kinds of difficult things and you know i'm i felt like they were acutely aware of being a group of all men <laughs> talking yeah. about it but i thought they handled it really well oh, and that's i know good um they're going to gonna have talk some about that type of especially that book yeah being a man absolutely know. so i thought that was handled really well i just really enjoyed it so i just wanted to give them a shout out because it was fun um and i think that's it for nice, things yeah. we're enjoying at the moment um cool. because we've done quite a lot we've done quite a lot considering been busy bees mm. um so uh, this this episode three we want to talk about girls um, it's been a few weeks uh, now since um, Girls, the television show, wrapped up 62 episodes, six seasons, started in 2012 and has finished in 2017. Um, w- April and I have um, followed it from the very start. I feel like we're sort of settling our friendship group, some of you know, the few that have kind of hung on in there and watched the whole thing and have sort of constantly been in conversation with each other about it. Yeah, um, so we wanted to have a chat about um, the entirety of Girls, really, from the beginning to the end. We watched the final episode together. Um, did. We did. So we have lots of... Now the dust has settled, I feel that we now can kind of talk about that properly. And we're a bit more emotionally prepared to Absolutely. talk about it. Absolutely. Um, so... I guess if we start, rather than starting at the end, I'd start at the beginning with the first impressions of the show. So when girls, yeah, first impressions when girls arrived in 2012, it was billed, as we all know, as this kind of sex in the city for millennials. Yeah, there was a very millennial sex city vibe, which is a bit, uh, I was sceptical. Yeah. I so I, um, did you ever watch Sex and the City? No. You didn't? You no, I wasn't, I wasn't oh ever a Sex and the City fan. Ever. So it's funny, actually, because like Sex and the City is not necessarily a show that I would have ever have said that I would be into, but I really enjoyed it. Did you? So, yeah, I'm, it's just... When know. did you watch it? I think I went back and watched it. I yeah. Mean, I remember watching the last episode with one of my friends oh. when I was... Like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I never got, it's funny because, I, I mean... I, it's actually something I always talk about rewatching. Anyway, um, I remember so when Girls um, was initially announced as being a thing that would be airing, I remember it was very much billed, like you say, as millennial sex in the city. And I was both elated and skeptical by that. Um, the thing with sex in the city is that it comes with a lot of like 
they're all very affluent mm. middle-class white women so it's a little bit uh. same z's yeah. yeah so it's a bit i was a bit skeptical um when it i mean i didn't realize this until i was doing some research and prep for this that <clears throat> the first episode of girls came out on april the 15th in 2012 did it that's uh was my 24th birthday oh of course 24th birthday so um we've How talked funny. before about how actually you know um we've kind of as we've grown up we've been the same age as hannah we've been in the same right? age as hannah i mean i think she's supposed to be your age yeah so i'm what are you two years younger? younger yeah so um it felt very kind of relatable in that respect because mm. one of the big things in the first season of girls is that hannah has just finished college and mm -hmm. she's in new york and she's kind of figuring out what to do with herself and at the time i was uh living at home and just I was in the middle of finishing my master's. Mm. Um, so immediately I was like, oh, God, this is, you know, incredibly relatable. Um, what was your first sort of impression of the of the show itself? Um, I really enjoyed it. It it did feel very much like, I mean, you say, you know, you've said it's relatable. It was relatable. Um, I Hannah, we've got these kind of four main characters this friendship group you have hannah who's kind of the main the main character yeah, played by lena character, dunham who at the very beginning in the pilot she's an aspiring writer um who uh, her parents are cutting her off yeah, so okay. she's not going to be financially funded by them anymore um she um is living with her best friend marnie who has dreams of pursuing kind of a music career they uh their best their one of their best friends jessa who's kind of this bohemian babe very, yeah, very returns bad. from traveling um and she comes back to see them and moves in with her cousin shoshana who is kind of shy and awkward and obsessed with sex in the city yeah, she's, um she's also still a student actually at the time she's she is NYU, isn't she which is kind of because she's meant to be slightly younger than so she's at college yeah so. kind of young bubbly naive um i i remember the first season uh, the first episode rather um being very funny and it did relatable and it carried a lot of kind of things that i haven't really seen in tv before yeah, so it, felt, it um, sounds like very old hat now for me to say but actually seeing two girls have a conversation together in the bath and hannah having sex with adam on the sofa and all of these aspects are things that i don't think we did really see on tv no, before I mean, in such you know, a kind of out there yeah absolutely way. So, you know five years isn't in the grand scheme of things isn't actually a long time no. but actually in the cultural landscape and tv and everything it is a long mm -hmm. time and i think it, you know so sex in the city was very visionary with regards with how open it was about mm. dialogues about women's sex lives mm -hmm. and you know I can totally imagine. women doing what they want to what mm. what they want to do um but with girls i felt like it you know it was very open with with regards to sex and things like that but in a in a realistic way not a kind yeah. of you know showy kind of it didn't seem show-offy. No, it just felt real. It just um, feels re it felt very like like this is an entirely relatable, you know, situation. I'm sure for people of that age mm. um, across the world, not necessarily those mm. that are also living in New York. So, mm. and I think because it was you know created by someone of that age mm -hmm. um, with a team of other people who were you know younger and kind of uh, you know those experiences was very much in their recent memory. Um, I think that had a good effect. It didn't feel like a bunch of execs trying to yeah, envision I mean, what so, living like a 22-year-old girl yeah, is. So at, at, the, at the helm of girls, you've obviously got um, Nina Dunham, um, sort of the writer, 
has directed quite a lot, but she's you know it was, it was writer her director. Idea. As um, Jenny Kona was the showrunner as well, and then you also she had, you had the involvement of Judd Apatow, um, who's known for his kind of comedy stuff. But mm. um, you know, so it's very much Leonard Dunham's pet project in that respect so and i think that's that's sort of telling from the way that the the show played out actually is that you did mm. have someone that was a you know of that age understands that kind of environment mm. Um, mm. at the helm rather than having a room full of you know like out of touch mm. kind of uh, slightly older people that don't mm. really know the type of things that hannah and the rest of the characters um would be doing or being involved with um mm. what did you initially first think of the characters so you said, you know, Hannah Marnie, Jessa, Shosh. Mm. Marnie, it it struck me how uh, Marnie was uh, a lot more tolerable in those earlier episodes. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Um, and she, I think her and Hannah and Marnie are housemates. They live together. They're best friends. And they seem very in tune with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really great to watch and see as well. Shosh is really kind of starts off as this um sort of timid uh naive i think she's still a virgin and that's like a really big part of her kind of yeah plot point isn't it um it's funny as well because shoshana um i'm i'm sure we'll come on to this as we sort of discuss Mm. season six in particular but shoshana has always been posited posited sorry as and as the outsider yeah i think the point is that hannah marnie and jessa are supposed to have been at college together and the reason they know shoshana is because she's jessa's cousin um so shoshana's always been of the four of them she's always been the outsider but i think it's it's incredibly striking in those first episodes but also in comparison to the to the later to the final episode well actually i think it I hadn't really, when we'd initially sort of spoken about the final season and how we felt, actually, um, I hadn't had enough space in between it. And I think, actually, when I was thinking about mm. it in comparison to the earlier seasons, it's quite telling, actually, how um, show she's on the fringes. She's mm. kind of, you know, sort of definitely the outsider and mm. it's, it's sort of basically spends six seasons trying to kind of find her place within it and then actually realises that she doesn't. She's still very, yeah, I mean, she barely like you said we'll talk about season six but she's she's not really there for a lot of season uh-huh. six anyway no, which is interesting um how do you think that the the characters themselves and their friendships have kind of evolved over this course of six seasons so we you know we said that just mentioned that they the three of them were at college together and you've got mm. shosh um they've all had really um distinct and interesting character journeys hannah i think Hannah obviously begins as an aspiring writer who can't support herself. Um, she's very narcissistic. She's still narcissistic by the end, but she has reached a point where she has an established career um, and she's matured in a lot of yeah, ways. She goes through a lot of iterations, um, doesn't she? So she tries to be a writer and then she ends up, uh, I think she works at GQ for a while. Yeah, she does. She teaches for a while. She does she has, teach for a while. She's a barista for a bit as well. I think in the beginning she was a barista. All those little... Yeah, she kind of jumps from yeah. career to sort of career. So. Um, season two, I think, was really important for Hannah with her OCD storyline. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, and the way that addressed... Um, the way her character addresses mental illness as well, I think is something that really sticks in my mind. Um, Marnie uh, is, I I struggle to articulate how I feel about Marnie because she is on one hand, one of my least favorite characters because I fucking hate her and I can't tolerate (laughs) her and she winds me up. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No, it's funny actually, because I think that 
um, I think there is a natural tendency when you watch television shows and films actually to kind of um, find a particular character that you either identify or you like and latch onto them. And actually, mm. when I was thinking about girls, um, I don't think that any of them are particularly likable. Oh, no. I wouldn't say that actually overtly, like, you know... They... I keep tricking myself and thinking that Shoshana's really likable, but actually no, she's... I think... I think that she's very self-centered as all, well. Yeah, they're all incredibly flawed, and actually, I think that the, I think one of the most interesting things I find about um, thinking about girls actually is I don't actually like. There's not one that's a standout like no. oh they're my favorite because of you know mm. they're the best you know there's no, there's no one that I like them the as much as I dislike them and I think yeah. I like them because I dislike them in I some way. I think ways. that seems for me that seems incredibly real actually and that's why I think that I enjoy the show so much because I think that they are incredibly flawed characters that do stuff that pisses you off or like mm. you think like oh you're such a fucking idiot mm. and I think that's probably a credit to the writing and mm. the actors themselves. Mm. Um, that you are sort of you're meant to think that they're a little bit intolerable i mean mm-hmm. um in the first episode when we were talking about tv i mentioned um netflix's love mm. um and i have an incredibly love hate conflicted <laughs> uh. relationship with the characters uh mickey and gus in that because they're just they're just fucking they're just so irritating mm. they're so intolerable and it, they they make it really hard for you to like them but mm. i think that's the point and mm. i do think that's the same with girls actually that yeah you're not meant to immediately love them you're not meant to you know sex in the city you're supposed to identify yeah, with them the completely either that the, a big a big thing around the show was like oh are you a are you, you a, a carry yeah charlotte but i think actually you know i, I know we joking you've had that you know oh, mm. i'm i'm definitely hannah yeah kind of thing but i don't think that there there's not that immediate that wasn't an immediate projection no. i think that you're you're they're all awful yeah they are um but that's why the show's so great for me i think yeah and i think it's important that I think they go through a lot of, you know, they do go through a lot of big changes. Like Marnie goes through like a marriage and a divorce. Um, Jess has to, you know, Jess has to read. Jess gets married. She gets married. She has to readdress her addiction problems. Yeah, Um, She addresses her stuff with her father. Yeah. It's huge, you know, but, um, and they don't come out of it completely by season six. They don't come out of it as completely changed people or, massively improved people there are you can see definite ways in which they have grown up but there are also aspects of them that a they haven't quite learned uh to mature yet and some things that they're just never gonna i think are always going to be a part of them and i'm glad that that wasn't you know yeah definitely i think that the um one of the biggest things i took away from actually the final season in particular was that it wasn't a case of like tying up all the loose ends actually Mm -hmm. it was kind of like oh it has been five years and and they have all experienced levels of change and you know there's been there's a marked difference between their lives in season one Mm. and season six but actually there's not they've not come out of it being like oh you know this we're all fine you know yeah yeah Um, we're all gonna come out okay yeah i mean i think that it's been really interesting watching their friendships evolve um i think that over the course of the of the seasons from you know seasons one to six i think actually for me in particular that has been one of the most interesting things absolutely has done a really good job of actually addressing how the older you get friendships do change especially Mm. with with people that you may have been at college with Mm, absolutely Um, you know i think that there's that natural it's um in one of the articles i i read in prep was um from the ringer and um Amanda Dobbins um, 
says it's about one particular episode but this particular line resonated with me like a great deal and it said sometimes friendship is just muscle memory and I think that's a perfect encapsulation Mm -hmm. of the show itself it is um especially with regards to the final season where actually you think that they're actually maybe wising up to it and I do think that the show has done a really good job of of actually kind of negotiating the difficulties of being an adult and actually maybe realizing Mm. that you know the changes that do happen to friendships over time you know Marnie and especially Marnie and Hannah's relationship that changes, changes massively so much from the first season to the to the final season you know they go through various different iterations of of how they conduct themselves with one another you know the same goes with Hannah and Jessa you've got the whole arc mm. of the fact that in the beginning of the show Hannah was dating Adam oh man and then they break up um and then Jessa starts dating uh, Adam in season five. Five, yeah. Um, and that becomes a real, you know, a real issue. And you it, think, yeah. that, you know, I think that it, it does really, really mirror the way mm. that friendships for anyone really do change over mm. a, a period of time because of things that happen in people's lives or, you know, other, other priorities and things like that. I think mm. that that's one of the sort of big things I took away mm. from the show, actually thinking about it since mm. um, having think- a bit of time to digest it, actually. I think that I think that it did do a really good job of actually um of kind of reflecting how those changes do happen yeah by season six very obviously that the four main girls uh, are not spending as much time together at all no, they're not, not in episodes much together they feel very separate and you can see that drifting apart but actually you know looking back i mean even you know in se- i think it's season three with beach house Marnie is getting them all together in the beach house to try and make it like the old days. Yeah, the whole point. So, I mean, it's five years of them trying to keep these friendships together, actually. Um, And, yeah, as you say, by season six, they're actually, it's really beginning to dawn on them that maybe they don't need to do that. And it's actually a very natural thing. Yeah, I think it's funny, actually, because they do, in this this new season, or the last season, sorry, they do, um, it's like they kind of have have stopped trying. Mm. They realise that actually you kind of, you can't, you can't fix something that's perhaps broken. Mm. And I do think that, you know, it's it's funny how it took them six seasons, but actually maybe that is kind of how sometimes things do happen. Absolutely, like yeah. Um, so if we move on to season six in particular, mm. um, do you think it was a kind of a good final season? Um, and what did you think of the finale in particular, the final episode? I I really enjoyed this season. I thought season six was pretty consistently great um standout episodes uh the the first episode all i ever wanted with riz ahmed was fairly wonderful um american bitch is you know one of the best episodes i think girls has ever had um gummies was great what we will do this time what will we do this time about adam which is the penultimate episode episode is yeah just totally broke both of us (laughs) and i think addressed everything that had been sort of boiling under the surface um throughout that season um it's funny that it's called what will we do this time about adam because i feel like they were probably all sitting in a room thinking that and i was thinking that and you know during that episode um i was you know feeling slightly sick with worry that adam and hannah were gonna get back together um and i they answered a lot of it tied it well, we say it didn't tie up, but it answered a lot of kind of... It brought everything but out in the open, I think, in that yeah, multi-episode that um, we wanted. If you, it's probably important for us to say, if you haven't yet seen... Oh, God, like spoiler, spoiler attack about five minutes ago. Us. So Sorry about that. So we will be kind of spoiling things from this. Yeah, I mean, with that particular episode, 
um, I think it really addressed a lot of unsaid things that had been sort of, like you say, bubbling mm. under with Hannah and Adam. I mean, the whole, um, the Jessa spanner in the works for for them. Um, I just thought that episode in particular was so well executed. It mm -hmm. felt like a kind of, a, just a complete dream. And the scene in the diner at the end where they're... With they're Adam both, and Hannah. Where oh. Hannah, and, so Hannah and Adam are both, you know, they both come to the realisation that actually um, it's it's not going to pan out the way they thought it was going to. And they don't say it, really. It's, it's, it's all it's said in a look, It's all about what's not being said, but it's just the look on their faces as they're both, like, menta mentally calibrating, actually, their entire day and what they've been planning. Just, it's not going to work. No. And it was heartbreaking. I don't mm. think... I think Lena Dunham gets a lot of criticism a lot of the time for um, her acting sometimes, mm -hmm. but I think that she really has never been better than Yeah, I think she pulled it out of the just, bag on that one. You just see the look of sheer, like, sadness and realisation on her face, and I just thought, oh, God. It's, it's just, desperately sad. It's just it's desperately, desperately sad. sad, and I think that that, you know, is such a good indication of actually how this season... I just thought it was great. I was really mm. surprised. I was really apprehensive about how they would kind of be concluding a lot of mm. different, various different story arcs that were mm. going on. But actually, I think that, you know, while I think that the finale in particular um, might not have been like the perfect, you know, tying up of ribbons mm. that everyone had thought, I think that's the point. And I think that yeah. a lot of season six, while they, while things did get kind of, you know, um, resolved on some level for, for some characters so for example ray um falls in love with ad Bryant's oh, character who so i can't remember brilliant. but she's the lady that's uh, she was the uh Shosha's boss that sends her to as soon as you see them start talking you're like yes this is going to yeah, be a that, thing that yes nice that's touch. lovely um and things like that but i just yeah I think this season, the season six, it was mm. just, it re really, really was exceptional. Um, it's interesting, actually. I listened to an interview with um, one of the writers, Sarah Hayward, and she um, she says that season six ended the way they they had intended it to end since the beginning. So um, they'd always planned for it to yeah, end. Yeah, like she said that, that um, you know, they, they said that season six was the final excuse to do everything they'd always wanted to do. Yeah. And they, and they did it. Brilliant. And Neil Dunham's kind of confirmed in various different interviews as well that actually from about season two they knew that they knew how it was going to pan out, mm. which I think is really interesting. Actually, that because, is interesting. You know, I always wonder about the process for that sort of thing and whether they're making up. I always, you know, often if you um, you hear writers, um, as in you know literature book writers uh especially fiction writers saying that um they you know they start writing a book and they don't have a plan for where it's going to go and it kind of goes where it takes them or they have a very vague notion but it sounds like yeah with some i don't know the process of kind of script writing and television and things like that it seems more often people have like quite a complete plan in their head yeah i remember what's gonna happen. Um, i remember um when mad men ended mm. um and i was reading and listening to various different kind of interviews with um the showrunner matthew weiner he talks about the kind of the process that they had of kind of like working out where the show would conclude and that show in particular is very very complex with the different kind of storylines about mm. don draper and everything like that but he said he had a rough he knew mm. knew how it was going to pan out, and I do think it's interesting actually because there's the contrast between shows that are allowed to end naturally, mm -hmm. you know, decide when they want. Like we're just going to do seven seasons, that's it. We're not going to do any more. Versus, and flogging a dead horse. <laughs> yeah, versus, well, and also versus the shows that just get axed. 
that yeah. like aren't coming back for another series. So it must be And they need that other series. Yeah, yeah. you're just like, oh shit, like what's mm. what's going on? So um yeah, I mean what did you think of the final episode, the very, very um, last episode? Is I think now the dust has settled, I think I'm I'm happy with the way it ended. Um it feels to me, and I think you probably agree the episode before felt like the final episode yeah. to me in that my, everything came out in the open. They had that kind of group discussion in the bathroom that they needed to have. That bathroom um, was incredible. So good. Yeah. Uh, Shoshana just, she is like, oh, it's great. Um, and then the final episode is kind of like the epilogue. It's definitely, the, that's the um, way I, when I watched it, the way I viewed it, um, so when we watched it together, I, I very much viewed it as being an epilogue kind of like an it jumps ahead in time it it does yeah it's completely it's a completely different setup to the episode before hannah i'm sure whoever's listening has seen it um but you know hannah and mania hannah and mania living together um and state new york hannah's got a job working for a um liberal arts college yeah she got her job she's sorted she's had her child who is called her baby oh, is called Grover. Grover. So the point is that she hilarious when she, when she rings, uh, she gets in touch with Riz Ahmed's character to tell him that she's having his baby. That she they had a one night stand and she's found out she's pregnant. Um, and she rings him to let him know she initially wasn't going to do that, but then someone tells her that she should, so mm-hmm. she does. And he's kind of like, oh, I don't want to, you know, you don't want to be involved. But um, you should name your baby Grover. Yeah, if you've ever thought about having. You know, oh, I've always really liked the name Grover. Awful so she, name. Um, she decides to name her child Grover. Brilliant. Fine. Um, but, so, yeah, you know, comedy aspect, there was there was that, the, the scene where she goes for a walk and meets that young girl kind of in the middle of the night in the street and the young girl's acting like she's just been attacked and you kind of assume she's been, you know, sexually assaulted or something or her boyfriend has hurt her and it turns out she's just had, like, a really pedestrian argument with her mum. Um yeah, about homework and, you know, it. that is such a classic girl scene. So it was, was nice to have that. Yeah, that was interesting actually as well because um, the reason that Hannah comes across her is because she's... Um, Marnie is particularly frustrated by Hannah's um, unwillingness and difficulty <laughs> engaging with Grover. So she rings um, her mum, Laureen, and gets her to come up. And Hannah gets uh, is very upset by this and in a, in a strop decides to go mm. off and just, just walks off. She's wearing... Um, it's a sweater like sweater and je- like baggy jeans like she just looks awful she just wa- she walks off anyway she but the whole point is that she's she's left out of frustration with her mother and her friend and then mm-hmm. she comes across this girl that's also done, she's the, done the same thing, thing. And she gives her a lecture and i just think like that's an incredible the whole uh, final episode is actually about how motherhood isn't this amazing easy kind mm-hmm. of thing that hannah thinks she can turn her hand to and actually mm-hmm. she gives this girl a kind of a good talking to and then realizes that actually oh i should be doing this yeah. is my own life this is i me. think it's i think that the thing that i took away from the final episode was the the you know the one that we're kind of calling the epilogue was actually like you know hannah thinks that being a mother and, and dealing with this pregnancy on her own is going to be easy. And actually it isn't. And she's really struggling at the plot point. The episode, the episode's called latching. Mm-hmm. And the plot point is that she can't get Grover to latch and breastfeed. And this, she's becoming mm. very frustrated and upset. And she thinks that he hates her and it's becoming this real kind of like, you know, um, neuroses for mm-hmm. her, which for someone like Hannah is, is, you know, 
You can imagine that spiraling out of control it's very quickly. It's spiraling, and you know she's not dealing with it. But actually, I felt like that wasn't I, for me anyway. Based on the character and the history of the character, that felt like the most real, like realistic mm. representation of how she would be dealing with that. And I had initially been very skeptical about the fact that Hannah was pregnant and that she was going to be keeping the baby because mm-hmm. I think that uh, sometimes, as were her friends, <laughs> yeah, I think that sometimes pregnancy gets used in television shows as a plot point, as being kind of a moment of redemption for the character, yeah. as being like. A, oh well we need to pull them out of the shit so we'll give them a baby and mm-hmm. they'll have to turn mm-hmm. themselves around mm-hmm. but I think actually for Hannah there's this air of kind of you know this isn't this isn't going to be like the hugely transformative life mm. and she was expecting that she as was well expecting that you know she decided she's to watched it. too many tv shows and she also thinks yeah and I, I felt I, you know I thought that was you know in in retrospect now thinking about that final episode I do think that there's this air of like it's not going to be easy for Hannah it's no. not and, and that that's what her mum says, right? She's yeah. like, do you honestly think it's been hard, like, for me being a mother to you? Yeah. But do you think that was easy? It was funny, actually, seeing that, seeing their interactions between her and Lorraine in, the, in those final episodes and that final season, actually. I mean, Lorraine, Lorraine's a character that's been through a lot of... Um, she's a, a brilliant character She's well. incredible. She, you know, she's, she's dealt with the fact that her husband, Tad, has, after several decades of being married he's mm-hmm. sort of finally come out and said he's gay and, and they're in the process of living separate lives and you know she's been dealing with Hannah's her daughter um, is Hannah her daughter um, is Hannah so she's been dealing with that and actually I felt like it was an interesting kind of a season in which actually she came into her own and Hannah realizes that you know her she was husband, dealing with her own shit that entire her, and season I think that that's actually quite interesting with all of the stuff with Hannah's parents actually is I think it makes it bring it really hits at home that your parents are people too and everything like that so um i thought that in the finale that particular that in particular was um incredibly um well executed mm. so um you know just going looking back over the show um as a whole over six seasons what are some of your um standout episodes from the, the back catalogue um I think the two that we've discussed before and agreed that both were our standout episodes were um, American Bitch from season six yep. and uh, Beach House, which I think is season three. Uh, Beach mm. House is in fact season three. Is it three. season three or season, season four? Season three, episode seven, so it's towards the end That's of season the one. three. Um, American Bitch, I think, I think it's actually my favourite episode. Of, it's oh, it's of, great of, of girls. I was I mean, so impressed with that episode I when it came out. It was very, very well handled. So the the story arc in that particular, it's kind of the bottle. Girls is really good at doing bottle episodes, mm. which is it tends to be like one character or a couple of characters doing one particular thing without any insider, out, sorry, outsider influence from anyone else involved yeah. in the show. So the in American bitch. Um, Hannah has to go and interview a writer who's been accused of sexual harassment by um, a couple of young women at various colleges he's been kind of touring his books at. Um, it's based on a, uh, Hannah sees a Tumblr post written by some one of the victims and she writes a response. And it's a it's a guy that she was previously a fan of, right? Yeah, it's someone it's someone who's meant to be sort of like a kind of a well known uh, writer within the kind of American cultural landscape. And Hannah's a fan and she finds that she's actually obviously very horrified to discover these um, accusations have been made against him. Um, so she writes a kind of, you know, a thing about him and then he invites her to, have, to mm-hmm. interview him to actually so he can give his side to the story. And I just felt that it was incredibly well handled. The entire episode focuses around kind of power play and manipulation and truth and you know, coercion. And I just think that the writer in question, whose name entirely escapes me, is played phenomenally by Matthew Reese, mm. um, who's in from the Americans. He's incredible in that episode. And I just... It's the way their conversation kind of 
it starts off um, very awkward. Hannah is obviously feeling quite hostile towards him. Yeah. And it doesn't stay like that the whole time. It kind of meanders and you get to a point where you just think, Hannah, you're such an idiot. You're being sucked into this discourse yeah, that he's it's, it's, it's spinning really... again she does the very thing that she was trying to resist and she starts kind of warming to him and i think that's the point of the episode and it's the point it, yeah. yeah so it's set in in this apartment she goes to visit him in a sort of upper west side apartment and the entire episode takes place in various different rooms around his incredible apartment so they begin in the study mm. where she's there's an incredible i think that it's just little things in that episode that get me so there's a there's a part where hannah's um sat talking to him and you, there's some shots of Matthew Reese and behind him on the wall there's a portrait of um Woody Allen yeah, holding Woody a gun Allen. and I just thought like afterwards I just thought like that was incredible that's mm. an incredible like visual cue that this guy mm. is not all right you know there's all of mm. the history of Woody Allen's very very questionable mm-hmm. behavior and for him to have a picture of him on the wall I just mm. thought was inc- you know just such just such a good mm. you know little mm. nod um and she goes in there on the attack. She does. She she's... talks to him. He, uh, you know, he explains himself, uh, you he know, in a way. his life, about uh, how his personal problems, you know, he's going through a divorce. That completely almost changes her outlook, yeah. um, for good or for bad, on um, him. And, you know, you're naturally, as the viewer, sitting there still feeling very suspicious. Yeah. And she's warming to him. And then there's this moment that is just so shocking yeah. um, and it just pulls her straight out of it and it pulls you straight out of it. Um, I think that scene was actually cut for for some countries, so I wonder whether it had quite oh, the same effect. Yeah, um, yeah he, he exposes himself to her um, in a way that is hilarious, but also just... It's kind of, yeah, it's interesting actually because it's kind of him proving his point. Yeah. And that's horrifying. Yeah. You know, like it's absolutely horrifying that like he, he one of the big things is that he, you know, he he says that he very much disagrees with the fact that he's been accused of these things because he didn't have to. You know, he, it wasn't coercion. It wasn't anything yeah. like that. Like it was a natural, you know, these girls wanted to be sexual with mm-hmm. him and everything like that. And, um, you know, it's. It's and then exactly like, the same thing happens. Exactly the same thing happens, and it's about the fact that like he he can he has this power mm. he can manipulate. It like, makes just, him look like a pig, but it also proves his point. Yeah, and it's horrifying. It's, uh... it's so horrifying. But I just think that it's it's honest. It was honestly one of the best half an hour. It's a half an hour episode. Mm. It's one of the best half an hours of television I've watched in a very very long time. And mm-hmm. I think if if you ever had to sort of herald one episode of Girls as being you know. Um, the best i think that's definitely up there mm. for me i mean beach house on the flip side to that beach house is very much about the, f- the four girls it's, it's about, about the friendship. friendship so you know like you said earlier it's a gets all of them to go to a house in the i think it's in the hamptons for but the it's weekend. like the other part of the hamptons not yeah the, it's like uh, the not as fancy part yeah. of the hamptons and um i referred to that um article from the ringer by amanda dobbins um the particular line that she said about beach house but she says of the uh, the ringer did like a retrospective of what they asked their staff were some of their favorite episodes and amanda dobbins picked beach house and she says um beach house is about that slow realization that old modes of friendship don't work anymore and haven't for Mm. some times it takes a few more seasons for the four characters to disentangle themselves and the definition of television and also possibly love or guilt or both means that they'll never fully disappear from each other's lives but the final shot of beach house where hannah miney jessa and shoshana break into silent group choreography is still one of the best best thesis statements for their mismatched foursome sometimes uh, friendship is just muscle memory i think it is a really good representation of of the show as a whole mm. 
it is the way that kind of they are dealing with this kind of incredibly broken fragmented friendship and i just think it's yeah it's definitely a standout episode for me um Mm. it's also the first time that we see elijah oh yeah Um, elijah's sort of brought back into the fold they do he does he is in season one oh is he really briefly in season one yeah he's actually the reason that that so there's a I was going to come on to this later, actually, but there's one of my favourite moments from Girls is the episode, uh, season three of episode of season one, sorry, um, where they, uh, Marnie and Hannah, um, dance to Robin's. Oh, so own. good! And musical reason, moments. Musical moments, and that's Girls the, reason, been... the reason that ha- moment happens is that um, Hannah finds out she's got HPV, and she also yes, finds out that I remember that now. Is gay. Yeah, and that's the, after that's Elijah, dating him. Yeah, yeah, that's Elijah's first. Um, and then he reappears season and he reappears three. And then he becomes a main and one of the best season, characters. In, easily one of the best characters. Easily one of the best characters. And yeah, so he appears in Beach House. It's it's them. It's the girls and some of Elijah's friends, mm. him and his boyfriend and some of their friends. They come well. across each other in the street. Yeah. Beach House is a phenomenal. Um, Another, um, I'd like to also give it, we were talking about the difficulty of understanding Marnie and, mm-hmm. um, you know, not absolutely detesting her. But I was listening to um, uh, an episode of, um, I think it was the Andy Greenwald podcast, but it also might have been the Nerdist. I listen to a lot of stuff. Um, but um, Lena Dunham's um, favorite episode is Panic in Central Park. Okay, yeah, from season five, which has the is that Marnie's stand a stand Marnie's episode, Marnie's yeah. bottle episode, where um, so Christopher Abbott, who played Charlie in the first couple of seasons, left in a mm. kind of uh, particularly hectic, not ideal way, and um, th- we never thought he was going to come back. And season five is an episode where Miney's just left the gym, I think, and she's walking down the street and she mm-hmm. gets wolf-whistled by a bunch of guys and she turns around and one of them's Charlie, her ex-boyfriend. And Panic in Central Park is an entire episode dedicated to them kind of recapturing them, their romance and spending mm-hmm. the day together. And um, I don't like Miney as a character, but it's ironic that that episode in particular is one of my favourites. It's a really standout episode, it's, it's it is, a re- I such agree. It's a beautiful episode. It, it captures the kind of kind of beauty of new york in a really interesting way and the fact that there are all these things available to you whenever you want them and you can kind of just go off and do Mm. it and and you know it's it's it was like things came full circle with with charlie coming back and especially because miney was going through a particularly tempestuous time Mm. um so that's just a that's a really great episode too Mm. um who are your favorite characters what would you i mean just sort of some standouts yeah i mean I think Elijah's my favorite character. Uh, Elijah's amazing. I feel like we need to give a shout out to kind of the secondary tier characters of Elijah, Adam and Ray, I guess. Elijah, Adam and Ray, Um, male characters. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because um, uh, my my friend Paisley was saying that her mum recently started watching Girls and she couldn't understand why we were so infatuated with Adam Driver because in the first season... Have you seen him in the first episode there? Have you gone back? He looks like... Like so this funny. spotty, pimply, gangly little he's weirdo. He's not a particularly nice person in the first no. season. And it's questionable whether Adam generally is a nice is person no. in the show. But, Big question But mark. it's funny because I think that, um, yeah, as a, as a kind of second-tier character, I mean, he's done the best out of girls, I think, generally oh, yeah. speaking. He's a huge star now, Adam Driver, and I absolutely adore him. But um, So, yeah, he's one of my favourites. I really, I really, really like Ray. Ray is great. Yeah, Ray, I think Ray. Elijah is my favorite. Elijah's great. Elijah is, um, he is a really good friend to Hannah. He's also I kind of a like shit. The, yeah, but I kind of like the conflict between them. That, that feels They like... have this really fun and interesting back and forth. He provides a lot of comic moments as well. Yeah, I absolutely. think are just fun and great. Um, great. 
I I think the only character I can't I see no use for and just don't like is Desi. He just Oh my god, Desi, what on earth? That's just so boring. It's funny, I don't Desi, care about Desi. Desi is a plot point. I think that uh It went on for so long though. Yeah, Marnie's musical career was uh, a boring an interesting plot point. <laughs> But one that I felt very, very Marnie, you know? Yeah, yeah. Desi is this guy that Marnie... Um, he, Desi starts out originally as being an actor that Adam's working with. Yes, play. so he knows Adam. He mean, Yeah, he, they get to know him through Adam, don't uh, they? Marnie, he and Marnie have a lengthy affair. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he leaves his partner and he and Marnie... Who's also annoying. Yeah, he and Marnie eventually get married. And then their marriage breaks down in season six. Pretty quickly. Um, he's fine. I was watching uh, a couple of months ago, I was watching Mona Lisa Smile. The Julie yeah. Roberts. Is he in that? In <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, why is oh, this hi, guy... Hi, Desi. Why does this guy remind me? Why is he so... Why is this guy grating on me? Why does he look so familiar? Oh, it's Desi. Um, I, don't, I don't think I was that fussed by Desi ever. He's um, fine. He's just... I think, actually, he's probably really a good representation of what someone like that would be like, you know? So, I mean... He's a total bore. Yeah, in that regard, he... He's um he's a good one. Uh, um, I think it's interesting to think about girls the show versus mm-hmm. girls um within the kind of wider cultural landscape. So the kind of idea of the program versus opinions of the show. I think that one of the things that I often come up against when I talk about the show with other people, um especially my love of the show and the fact that I think mm-hmm. um I kind of appreciate Lena Dunham's work to mm-hmm. to an extent is this kind of the blurring of lines between especially it does tend to focus around in Dunham, the kind of blurring of, of, of her as Hannah within mm-hmm. the show and with her Dunham, outside of the, the show. Person. I mean, she's, um, she's someone that, um, you know, I, I sort of have had an incredibly conflicted relationship to, um, she's, she has sort of in the past said kind of quite some controversial things or done things that have been kind of offensive. I mean, one of the things I quite like about her as a person is that she does have a level of accountability and that when she's done things wrong, particularly with regards to kind of saying things that are inappropriate or that are straight up wrong, she does, she's very good at saying, you know, actually, yeah, I, I fucked up. Mm -hmm. I'm really sorry. I kind of like that. I think I do too. I think, especially with regards to things like feminism, I think that it's, you know, she seems like she's under a lot of pressure to get things right more so yeah, than, it's funny um, i mean she um i read a uh well sorry i listened to an interview recently with her where she said that she'd never really spoken up before about the criticisms weighed at the show mm-hmm. um which were actually personal more personal attacks on her but with yeah. this most recent season um she's been a lot more vocal about that um about those and mostly because the show itself is made by like a lot of different people brilliant you know brilliant mm-hmm. writers and not just her mm-hmm. and actually but by crit- being critical about the show um but in a way that's more pointed about her, it actually gives them, you know, does a complete disservice um, to the show itself, which mm. I think is incredibly true, actually, because, you know, it, regardless, I think it's easy when you've got, you've got the, when you've got the show creator at the helm, yeah. you know, and also she's a main character mm-hmm. who is quite outspoken outside of the show. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy to write the program off as a whole. Yeah. Um, I think it's a mistake to do it with girls. Yeah. Um, I do. And it's a shame. And, there has always been such a chorus um, and such a conversation around girls, um, more so than a lot of other television programmes. Um, the the controversy around girls is interesting. Uh, you know, some of it is completely valid. Um, 100%, yeah. You know, completely valid. I don't think I need to go... I don't think we need to go too much into kind of the race elements. It's interesting um, that, again... <sighs> 
it is an issue in girls, but it's interesting that the level of criticism about there only being kind of white uh, main characters um, has been so loud and overwhelming for this show in comparison to other television programs that are doing exactly the same. And there was a really good, I can't remember what it is. I think it was like the Huffington Post or something where they were saying, you know, this is an issue. Why the hell are we not talking about it happening in all of these other programs as well? That we're just completely like focused. We're just almost blind to everything else. And this is the show that is going to be like the poster. Yeah. I mean, it's funny actually for this show itself has been um, at the kind of, forefront of a lot of controversies and a lot of criticisms with regards to various things like that and it's funny how that it is that it's it seems to be this show in particular mm-hmm. i remember when they um one of um donald glover was a character for a while who played uh, yes and they the people and about that. And i think that the difficulty is that anything they would have done in the wake of that would have been seen as a knee-jerk reaction yeah. so i don't think there's any good a particularly easy way of handling no there it. isn't but it, like you say it's very interesting that it's it seems to be this show in particular that's been targeted. Mm. Um, I, there was a really great article on the New Yorker um, by uh, Jaya Talentino called "On Finally Watching Girls: A Different and Better Show Than I'd Been Led to Imagine." Mm-hmm. Um, in in it, she talks about how she um, had never seen the show, but in the wake of the recent U.S. election. Um, she did sit down and she sort of worked her way through up to date. Um, she says that she was glad that she'd waited. Um, she says, um, its greatest artistic success was responsible for its major critical hand- handicap. The show was so well written, so carefully directed and so attuned to a narrow type of rarely seen before vicissitudes that some portion of its audience simply lost the ability to distinguish it from real life. Yeah. Um, she again, she mentions the kind of blurring of um, criticisms and questions about Lena and the show. Um, also, uh, a really interesting quote from... Uh, Jenny Kona, who's the um, showrunner, she said recently, I'm, I want to know what girls looks like without all of the noise around mm. it. Um, and she in particular was we're talking about the kind of the cultural um, sort of responses to it. I think in in the immediate build up to the final episode, a lot of I follow a lot of um, kind of various you know, writers, cultural writers mm-hmm. on Twitter, and they all of them were kind of saying, like, oh, it's going to be really interesting to have a Sunday or a Monday morning without any kind of deep dive think pieces about <laughs> girls. Girls deep dive, like, yeah. Nice it has had break. so much um, so much conversation around it in a yeah. way that a lot of other shows haven't. I think, yeah, and I think it's, um, perhaps that's a kind of a positive aspect. I think it's a positive and a negative. Because I think, yeah, I think there are pros and cons to it, aren't there? And it's interesting, whenever anything kind of generates conversation Mm -hmm. on any kind whether it's positive or negative you know dialogues about anything I think it's interesting Mm -hmm. and I guess if you're going to be I I mean I personally would rather have you know lots of people writing about a show that I was watching and actually perhaps presenting me with things that I hadn't thought about yeah not but it will will be interesting to see how the kind of the legacy of the show and actually how it fares Mm. you know maybe looking back at it in 10 years time what we'll perhaps Mm. think of it then i do think that whether it has that um longevity as well yeah whether whether it it is very much a moment in time i think especially because it's so self because it's so referential of a particular Mm -hmm. period in time you know it would have been interesting to see how um the show itself would have perhaps dealt with kind of issues uh um, that manifest themselves from the Trump administration. Yeah, and yeah. like that. I mean, it was it was referential of culture mm-hmm. to a point, but I don't necessarily know how it would have tackled things like that. No. So perhaps it's a you know it's in, it's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. 
to see um kind of the the kind of impact it's had on the the wider um sort of tv landscape cultural mm-hmm. landscape um what do you what do you think everyone will do next i mean it's interesting to see how they will follow it up i mean i'm i'm in particular interested to see what um lena dunham does next i think I know so she, too i know yeah. she's working on another show for hbo oh really i think it's a period piece i think it's set in the oh, 60s that'll be i'm not sure if i'm just making this up mm-hmm. i do remember reading an article where she was talking about how she was working on something else mm. i mean it's funny to think about um what everyone's sort of doing uh, now i mean we recently um saw get out and alison williams, williams who plays yeah. marnie um, i think she's obviously i think she'll go down a path of being in some films and some bits yeah, and pieces. absolutely there's um i think that um zosia mamet who plays um shoshana yep. is, an, um, is involved in various different i don't think i've seen her in anything else really oh, have you so, not? she was no. in Mad Men for a while oh i didn't watch Mad yeah Men, so. it's funny she um was in Mad Men maybe just before she was in girls okay. she played kind of a, a photographer that was working for time magazine mm-hmm. i think she was she was really good in it um she turns up in she was in season two of um unbreakable kimmy schmidt for one episode playing kind of a yes she was no i do remember played, like, that a, a, um a hipster yeah kind of. yeah the hipster yeah that was pretty funny. I mean, Adam Driver is interesting because, uh, obviously, Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. Um, I think he'll just keep... Yeah, He's I mean, hit the big time through girls, I think. Absolutely. It's I been mean, his... I, I re- like I said, I really liked his work. He was in um, the Coen Brothers Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, a few Patterson. years ago, he also was in Patterson. Yeah. yeah, he was phenomenal in Patterson. Um, he's got some projects coming out. So I think that he's he'll probably be one to done... Watch. He'll, he'll, he, I think he has the most longevity because I think mm. actually his... As an actor, he's very good at doing comedy, mm. um, but he's also very good at, um, you know, more serious roles. So um, there was an anecdote I quite liked where um, in something I was reading where Jenny Kona and Lena Dunham were saying how it was quite funny filming the season six, which is obviously shot after The Force Awakens mm. and how little kids would see <laughs> Adam Driver on the street and would be like freaking out. And they were saying like how weird it was because... You know, he's he's their Adam. He's, they've had five uh, five had, like, seasons you know, of this. Five, yeah. five years of just thinking he's this like dorky weird mm. guy, um, and to sort of see him become this like Superstar. you know internationally renowned. I mean, he'll obviously be doing Star Wars for the foreseeable. Um, I'm interested to see what Jemima Kirk does. I was gonna say, I mean, Jessa, she's. Uh, she's has got... has she been in anything else? She um has done um I think she. I mean, she was in Tiny Furniture, which was Lena Dunham's um, film. She's got a couple of projects coming out um, soon. She's in um, a film called All These Small Moments um, with Molly Ringwald. Weird. Oh. She's looking at her IMDb now. Um, quick, quick, quick. Oh, oh, she's in... Um, IMDb Scramble. IMDb Scramble. Um, she's in a film coming called... Oh, I know. There's. She's in an upcoming film called Untogether with um, Jamie Dornan and Alice Eve. Um, it's actually written and oh, directed yeah. by Emma Forrest, um, who's a really great writer, whose work I really like, actually. So that'll be interesting to see what she does. I mean, her sister Lola Kirk um, is an actress as well, and she's done a lot of interesting projects. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see how Jemima Kirk kind of fares um, going forward. So... Yeah, are you going to miss it? Are you going to miss Girls? I am going to miss Girls. I'm going to miss Girls as a television show. Um, I'm going to miss the conversation around Girls. I have it, yeah. As much uh, as um, as much as much I feel ever so slightly maligned sometimes for still yeah, enjoying the show. Absolutely. Um, I do think that um, I've, I've really enjoyed reading about it and talking about it. And I think that that's, that's kind of the type of thing I like. You mm-hmm. know? Me too. I mean, I can't 
it's funny because you don't think about how kind of things do impact you quite a lot but i mean i can't listen to that robin song without thinking of money and jessen no uh, no Marnie oh and Hannah, sorry like so, I can't. yeah whenever i put it on it's so my like brilliant. go-to like i feel crap i'm gonna make this song's gonna make me feel better and it's mm-hmm. funny how those little 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 triggers like that so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna really miss it but we'll miss you we'll miss you girls it's Bye. been a wild ride so uh we're nearly done um I wonder if Steph will have an obsession. Oh of God! The week. Oh my God! I forgot to do an obsession <laughs> of the week. Holy! Oh fuck! I just my obsession to... of the week is Harry Styles. I would um, just like to point out that I gave Steph two warnings this week about obsession. April of the week. keeps giving me a warning because I consistently forget to do um, obsession of the week. I find it difficult to separate obsession of the week with everything else that we do um, oh, well, throughout the podcast because it's, it's mostly all my. I mean. Quite clearly, the obsession of the week is Harry Styles. Well, um, I, yeah, I don't. I, I'm finding it hard to separate reality from that at the moment. That's fine. I mean, I um, I of my obsession of the week notes here. I did have Harry oh, Styles. So glad you did notes, and I've just and got nothing. I'd written a phrase after it, and I don't know if you're gonna. Um, can you guess what the phrase is that I, after I've written Harry Styles? It's not anything about burritos, is it? Uh, no. Good shout. Was cry wanking? Oh God. Is that your obsession of the week, is Harry Styles' cry wanking? No, I, well, it was going to be Harry um, Styles and just the lyrics in that damn album. Also, I just have spent a lot of time Googling uh, Ruth Wilson this week. Oh, we've had a great conversation about Ruth we Wilson had a great this week and how she should... Uh, where, how did it come about? So Ruth Wilson um, is going to be in or is sort of attached to The Little Stranger. The Little Stranger, yeah. Um, which is a book by Sarah Waters. Um, um, it's a great book. Um, and she was in Jane Eyre. She made a fabulous Jane Eyre. Oh, and she's bloody great. She will make, she, she's a fabulous fit for The Little Stranger she's as well. Awesome. It has a very Bronte-esque yeah. aspect to it. Um, and Yes, and we, I think she's probably one of the only people that April would permit to date Jake Gyllenhaal. If Jake Gyllenhaal is allowed to date anyone that's, not me he can date Ruth Wilson they did a play on Broadway a couple of years ago called Constellations um which was just them the whole point of the play is uh it's about different timelines and blah blah um but it was just the two of them and that's fine you could date you Jake you can date Ruth Wilson mm-hmm. because she's just in so norms so beautiful yeah delightful mouth yeah delightful mouth delightful in mouth the, in the, <laughs> I was just sending mouth. you pictures of her and Jake yeah together um, so yeah, Ruth I think Wilson. that's been a good conversation piece for this week as well. Yeah, Ruth Wilson and her mouth, and Harry Styles and his alarmingly questionable lyrics. Yeah, uh, we're not apologising for that, but we will try and lessen it over the coming weeks. No more Harry Styles. No. Put a ban on it. We'll put a ban on it for at least an episode or two. Cool. So, um, just a friendly reminder of where you can find us online. Um, we're on Twitter at the first. Um, Instagram at the first pod. You can also find us over on SoundCloud at. Um, soundcloud.com forward slash the thirst pod and on itunes you can subscribe by um searching for us um the thirst um also if you want to get in touch and you don't want to use uh social media you can give us an email uh, we greatly uh, welcome feedback questions comments um i did ask for a little um you know maybe we'll do like a what should we talk about get in touch thing i think that's a I good did it quickly on twitter about a day ago mm-hmm. and um, my friend Tristan replied, and I think we have ticked some boxes. We haven't seen but Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, no, we haven't seen thoughts. Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, but... Maybe we'll have seen it, maybe not. Um, but if you do want to get in touch with anything else, you can give us an email, um, thethirstpod at gmail.com. 
so um get in touch so cool thanks for listening laters bye ciao bye